Hi, everyone. Today's episode on the 1995 hip-hop album Liquid Swords by the Jizza, alias The Genius, contains some strong language and violent imagery, just in case any young ones are in earshot. That's all. No jokes or dumb skits this time. This is Discord and Rich. I've had it with you interrupting me in these intros, so now I'm interrupting you. Oh, no. I'm like Metal Man, slain by his own weapon. Is that... Is that a damn video game thing? On guard, I'll show you my Wu-Tang style. I'll fucking, I'll fucking take a spiked baseball bat and use it to tenderize a nice juicy steak for you. Oh, that's so nice of you, Ben. Ugh, that came out wrong. Let me try again. I'll fucking, I'll fucking take your sourdough starter and keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. Ben, you're such a sous chef. Uh, just make sure not to overfeed it, though. Then I'll overfeed it. You monster! From the suburbs of various North American greater metropolitan areas and two hosts who have at least briefly visited Staten Island, Discord and Rhyme strikes again. Welcome to Discord and Rhyme, a podcast where we discuss our favorite albums song by song. We're on both Twitter and Instagram at DiscordPod, and you can find show notes and our full episode archive at DiscordPod.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and generally where podcasts are found. And you can also subscribe by email at DiscordPod.com forward slash contact. I'm Ben Marlin, and I'm here with Rich Bennell. Mike DeFabio, Phil Maddox. This week, I want to start by thanking our newest Patreon donors, Rasmus, Nathan, and Daniel. Thank you to all of you. We really appreciate it. If you're enjoying Discord and Rhyme and want to support us with a monthly donation, you can visit patreon.com forward slash discord pod. Our host this week is Rich. Which chamber are you taking us into today, Rich? I am taking you all into the 32nd chamber of Discord and Rhyme with Liquid Swords by the Jizza, alias The Genius. So, Rich, why did you choose this particular album? Well, so in our Deltron episode way back when, which Mike hosted, I was all psyched about our first hip-hop album. And then it's been more than a year and we haven't done another one yet. Uh, what's up with that? So, the drought is over. I am bringing you another hip-hop album. So... Just as Deltron was one of Mike's gateway hip-hop albums, I truly obsessively got into hip-hop by way of the Wu-Tang Clan. Their debut, Enter the Wu-Tang, open parentheses, 36 chambers, close parentheses, that's the, <laughs> last, that's the last time I'll do that, was my initial choice. But I decided it would be more interesting to talk about one of the just total volley of Wu-Tang solo albums that came out almost immediately afterwards, between 1994 and 1996, of which Liquid Swords was one. Plus, all nine Wu-Tang members appear on the album at some point anyway, so we get to talk about the whole Wu-Tang clan. We get to have our cake and eat it, too. <laughs> Woo! Tang. Mm. <laughs> Discord and rhyme. We're on the swarm. <laughs> Kill a bees. 
So, Rich, what's your personal history with the Jizza and the Wu-Tang Clan in general? Well, so the Wu-Tang Clan in general were my first major signal as a sheltered suburban white kid that there were whole just different worlds of music besides what aired on VH1 and what Weird Al parodied. So I was taken aback the week of June 21st, 1997, when the album Wu-Tang Forever by the Wu-Tang Clan, a group I'd never even heard of, debuted at the top of the Billboard 200. Why, this was not Jewel or Savage Garden or The Wallflowers. <laughs> hey, I like that. <laughs> Which ones? All of them? Oh, just the Wallflowers. Let me clarify that. <laughs> I know the Savage Garden album by heart. <laughs> like, I could do that as a Discord and Rhyme episode if I wanted to torture you. <laughs> I'll be on it. <laughs> torture, motherfucker. Torture. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, this is an explicit episode. So, yeah, it took a while for the dormant Wu-Tang fan within me to incubate. But anyway, I didn't personally get into them until my senior year of college when the work shift manager at my co-op handed me two MP3 CDs that were just filled with hip-hop albums. Uh, But anyway, I actually properly purchased Liquid Swords, I promise, and I was rigorous in my study of the album, just absolutely rigorous. Like, because I'd heard that part of the appeal of Wu-Tang was just the, the vivid personalities of the MCs. So I sat down in front of a lyrics website and just listened to the songs over and over again, matching each verse with each MC until I just had all of them down, just until I knew like who was who. It worked, and it helped that this is just a terrific album. It's just hmm. still one of my absolute favorites in the hip-hop genre, or just any genre at all. Mike, how did you get into the Wu-Tang Clan? Well, the Wu-Tang Clan were my introduction to hip-hop music that wasn't just a kaleidoscope of fun samples to get lost in. Uh, Enter the Wu-Tang was a harder, tougher album than any of the hip-hop I'd listened to previously, and it was initially kind of a tough listen because I wasn't really used to anything that skeletal. Uh, Some of the beats on there were just a drum loop and what sounded like a cat walking across a piano. (laughs) (laughs) But I I got into it the more I listened, and what really appealed to me about the Wu-Tang was that they weren't just some guys rhyming over some beats. They had a mythology. And it was one that was mysterious and intriguing to me because it was all based on kung fu movies I'd never seen. So I I listened to the other Wu-Tang Clan albums, but they didn't appeal to me as much. And for a while, I thought they were a group that made one album I liked. And that was because up to that point, I thought of solo albums mainly as side projects. They're what you listen to when you've already digested all the main albums and you want something more. And it turned out with the Wu-Tang, it wasn't like that at all. You were supposed to listen to the solo albums, at least the first batch of them. And if you didn't, you were missing a huge part of the story. So this wasn't Goddess in the Doorway? This was not. (laughs) Uh, And Liquid Swords, this album here, was the first of the Wu-Tang solo albums I listened to. And it was the album that made me realize I liked the Wu-Tang a lot more than I thought I did. Phil, how did you get into Wu-Tang? So when I was growing up, I was one of those like kind of asshole kids who would like talk about how much they hated rap music to anybody who would listen. Yeah, I, I was I was that guy. Like, feel free to go back in time and give 13-year-old me a wedgie. Like, <laughs> I just did. Rap music? More like crap music. That was me. That was me. Um, so I remember the first rap song I heard that, like, really jumped out at me that I really liked was actually Triumph by the Wu-Tang Clan from... Uh, their uh, second altogether album, Wu-Tang Forever, which I thought was fantastic. But for some reason, I never dug into it anymore until like a few years later 
when I decided to pick up uh, Enter the 36 Chambers just on a whim from the BMG Music Service, where you get 11 CDs for the price <laughs> of one with no obligation. <laughs> That's how I got Purple Rain. <laughs> so I put that album on and I liked it an awful lot, but I never really dug too much deeper. Again, much like Mike, I didn't really know that the solo albums were supposed to be actual good, like canonical albums, because anybody listening to this, like the volley of Wu-Tang solo albums that came out after 36 Chambers, like if you like 36 Chambers, you need all of them. They're all really good. So I eventually found out about that and I started picking these albums up and eventually I got Liquid Swords, which I paid, I remember, a grand total of two dollars for at a local pawn shop. I'm so proud. (laughs) but i really liked this one this one was really kind of more hard-hitting than a lot of them and jizza's vocal style and way he like spits lyrics is really interesting and then i got into a lot more rap like you know after that it's still not like my all-time favorite genre but i have a pretty solid working knowledge of the genre at this point so as for me right up front and and like phil alluded to i am not a hip-hop guy Uh, i know very little about the genre. I still imagine that Sir Mix-a-Lot is a major thought leader in the hip-hop community. (laughs) Basically, for as much as I I really do respect the genre, a lot of it has just never clicked with me emotionally. Maybe it's the lack of gritty hip-hop songs about growing up in a safe suburban environment. Might I suggest Kanye West? (laughs) (laughs) I actually do like him, so that's that's probably why. But I love the Wu-Tang Clan. I discovered them in college, almost certainly from reading. Rich, where did I read about them? I think the Society pages. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wilson and Alroy's record reviews. Yeah. Now there are pictures of the RZA at another museum opening and wine tasting. And uh, (laughs) yes, Wilson and Alroy's record reviews. And uh, on a visit to New York City, very appropriately, I bought my first Wu-Tang CD, which was the debut 36 Chambers at a store on St. Mark's Place. And to me, at least at the time, nothing was cooler than that. Later on, I lived in New York City for 10 years and I only made it to Staten Island a few times. And that's I mean, that's that's the home of the Wu-Tang Clan, right? Yes. Most of them. Well, most of them. Yeah. Okay. we'll get to that. I spoke to some garbage men at a sanitation depot there, and on Staten Island, the sanitation depot qualified as a UNESCO World Heritage Site, admired across the island for its beauty. Um, Actually, no, Staten Island does have a beautiful botanical garden. A long time ago, my wife and I visited all five botanical gardens in New York City, so we went to the Staten Island one out of a sense of obligation, but it was really pretty. I would tie it for fourth place with the one in Queens. Anyway... I haven't been to the grittier parts of the island, so I can't relate to the Wu-Tang Clan's life experiences, but something about their sound just struck me as different, as Mike said. I'd like to think that it wasn't just because it was softened or boulderized from my white college boy sensibilities. It was hard music. I I liked that it wasn't overly laid back like West Coast G-Funk because I am not a laid back person. And as much as I'm sure it's impossible to see in the RZA studio for all the pot smoke, the music wasn't myopically about smoking weed. And it wasn't chintzy, one-sample Puff Daddy music geared to create easy radio hits. Instead, it was dense and intense. It was uncompromising. I'm none of those things, but I love music that is those things. Uh, I admit again that I haven't listened to much of it since college. My life just hasn't intersected much with hip-hop since then. 
But in 2009, I did go with Wilson from Wilson and Allroy to see the RZA talk at Barnes and Noble in Union Square, where he was promoting his book, The Tao of Wu. That's my version of going to a hip hop concert. In general, I don't recommend going to hip hop concerts. It's not really a musical form that works live and unless like they really like put a lot of effort into making it a big show. I, I would agree with that. It, every hip hop show I've been to has been kind of disappointing. In fact, uh, Mike and I saw the Jizza in 2005, and it was, yeah, it was it was kind of disappointing. Like, it wasn't oh, his yeah. fault. It was just kind of just the crowd was annoying, and it was just kind of like listening to, like, I don't know, a quarter of a bunch of Wu-Tang songs. Yeah, he would, he just had, there was no DJ or anything. There was just, like, a guy with a laptop playing just Jizza's part from a bunch of Wu-Tang songs. Oh. And then it would, then it would stop, and he would do another one. Yeah, and there was a drunk guy behind us who like thought that we wanted to hear his take on various verses from Liquid Swords. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good time. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rich, can you tell us about Jizza and the Wu-Tang Clan? Yes, I can. Clan in the front, let your feet stomp. Niggas on the left, rags to death. Woods on the right, wow for the night. Woods in the back, come on in the track. The who is coming through, the outcome is critical. Fucking with my style, sorta like a miracle on 34th Street. In the square of Herald, I gang Ella. The bitch caught a fits like Gerald. Deep Ferraro, who's full of sorrow, cause the hope didn't win. But the sun will still come out tomorrow and shine, shine, shine like Bow Nine. Here comes the drunk monk with a quarter Valentine. Pass the bone. The Jizza, alias The Genius, was born Gary Grice in New York City and grew up in a brownstone in Brooklyn's Bedford-Stuyvesant district, which is the neighborhood that was immortalized in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. He was a wordsmith almost from birth, listening to nursery rhymes alongside his aunt's copy of the self-titled album by The Last Poets, uh, which was an early forerunner to hip-hop. They appeared on a common song. That was the first time I'd heard of them. And he found a sort of synergy between the two of them. And so before long, he was taking the subway to the South Bronx with his cousin, Bobby Diggs from Staten Island, to the famous block parties that shaped the genre of hip-hop in the early days. And uh, to quote Jizza today, the DJs and MCs there were way more advanced than the neighborhood I was coming from. It was just a culture that I was moved by, and I knew that that was my calling. Now, I know I just coyly referred to Grice's cousin, Bobby Diggs, who you might know better as Prince Rakim, Bobby Digital, or most likely, the RZA. <laughs> Diggs grew up in Staten Island Stapleton Projects, also spending part of his youth in North Carolina, as well as Steubenville, Ohio, where he narrowly escaped an attempted murder charge after a shootout. Diggs managed to dodge an eight-year prison sentence and saw the experience as a second chance, and so he moved back to Staten and eventually formed a hip-hop trio called All In Together Now, which featured him as the scientist, Grice as the genius, so that's where that comes from, and their cousin Russell Jones as the professor. It was around this time when the MCs who had formed the Wu-Tang Clan started to congregate sort of around Diggs as a de facto producer and impresario. He and the genius were the first to release any music on a major label. Diggs, under the alias Prince Rakim, released the EP Ooh, I Love You, Rakim on Tommy Boy Records, <laughs> while the genius's debut Words from the Genius dropped in 1991 on the Cold Chillin' label. So the label didn't promote it at all, and the album kind of like mixed tales of street life with the, this distracting sort of early 90s boom-bap production that absolutely just buries the genius's observations. She had to look as if she was attracted to me. So what I did, I reacted in a manner just to show that I was feeling the same. Now check out the game. I said, lovely, I'll be the genius, and how you doing? I'm on the chase, and you're the one that I'm pursuing. She said, it's a pleasure, genius. I'm doing kind of fine, but what's on your mind? I said... 
always just thought this song was hilarious because I actually have an original Cold Chillin' copy of Words from the Genius. Oh, wow. And I bought it like at a local thrift shop again, and I put it on and was just amazed when I heard Come Do Me <laughs> come through my speakers. I just like how the cover of the album features the genius surrounded by just volumes of, I guess, his own wisdom. And the, the first song on the album is Come Do Me. And it's so unbelievably atypical compared yeah. to everything else he's ever done. <laughs> and it just killed me. I was laughing so hard. There's also a song about how you should stay out of bars. <laughs> <laughs> so the cousins were dropped by their labels without fanfare. But by this point, Diggs's basement studio was just gaining a reputation as the place to hang out and lay down rhymes. So this is when everyone started to adopt the aliases we all know and love. Uh, Rakim and Genius became the Rizza and the Jizza, and I'll explain that later. And their cousin Russell became Old Dirty Bastard. That's right. That name you heard earlier became a name that you recognize. <laughs> Other MCs began to join the ranks. Ghostface Killa also hailed from Stapleton, and from Staten's nearby Park Hills projects came Raekwon, You God, Inspected Deck, and Method Man. Last to join was Mastakilla from Brooklyn's East New York district. RZA dubbed the Nine Piece the Wu-Tang Clan after one of his favorite kung fu movies, Shaolin and Wu-Tang, and the group as we know them finally took shape. They were truly a force to be reckoned with, or as they would put it, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck yeah, with. There's no place to hide as I step inside the room. Dr. Doom, prepare for the boom. Bam! Oh, man! Ah, slam! Damn! I scream like Tarzan! I'll be tossing and forcing my style is awesome! Wu-Tang's debut, Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers, dropped in November 1993 on Loud Records and is rightly hailed as one of the greatest, most influential hip-hop albums of all time. It is just the bee's knees. I love it. <laughs> yeah, in the most hip-hop of terms. But what fascinates me even more is just the absolute bonanza of Wu-Tang solo releases that were just all produced by RZA that came out in the album's wake between 1994 and 1996. This wave includes Method Man's To Cal, ODB's Return to the 36 Chambers, the dirty version. Raekwon's only built four Cuban links, and that's four, the number four. Ghostface's Iron Man, and the subject of today's episode, considered by some, including myself, to be the greatest Wu-Tang release of all, Jizz's Liquid Swords. So, before we start, I want to acknowledge that I left a lot out of that history, like Wu-Tang's mythology and numerology, their love of classic martial arts movies, Riz's production style, the personalities of the MCs, the list goes on. The, the Wu-Tang world is so huge. Um, the misogyny. <laughs> yeah, that's there too. <laughs> so we'll, we'll hear more about all of that in the course of the album. Wu-Tang is one of the most complex, multi-layered acts we've covered on this show, and Riza is one of those Elvis Costello types who loves to talk about his work and has spent the last 25 years doing so in various <laughs> forms. There was actually a documentary just this year called Of Mikes and Men that aired on Showtime that I watched about half of. But their history and personality are so embedded in their work that Liquid Swords gives us many, many opportunities to elaborate on the world of the Wu-Tang Clan. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this episode. All right, we'll head to Shaolin in just a minute. But first, time for some plugs. Hey, listeners out there. As a reminder, Discord and Rhyme host Chris Willie Williams is running a fundraiser. If you make a donation of any size to an animal rescue organization working to help animals displaced by Hurricane Dorian and send us proof of donation made by the end of October, in November we'll send you a special mini episode hosted by Will 
on Bill Callahan's 2009 album, Sometimes I Wish We Were an Eagle, which is very well worth hearing. For more details, check the pinned tweet at the top of our Twitter at Discord Pod. If you're into what we're doing here and want to support Discord and Rhyme with a monthly donation, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Discord Pod. Our new $3 a month tier will give you access to, appropriately enough, our Discord chat room, where you can talk with us hosts. We've already done live album chats on albums including XTC's Skylarking and Paul Simon's Graceland. And if you have just a second, please leave us a rating, or even better, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other podcast service that allows it. Now, back to Shaolin. We are back. It's time for Liquid Swords and the opening track, Liquid Swords. So before the song begins, it starts with about a minute of the introduction to Shogun Assassin, a dubbed 1980 Jidai Geki martial arts film compiled from the first two Lone Wolf and Cub movies. When I was little, my father was famous. He was the greatest samurai in the this empire. This is what you hear during the opening credits of the movie. And he was the Shogun's decapitator. He cut off the heads of 131 lords. Anyway, it goes on for about a minute. Uh, so I'll get into the link between Wu-Tang and martial arts films in greater detail later, but I watched Shogun Assassin for this episode, and it's a highly episodic, extremely violent movie that traces Lone Wolf and Cub's travels across the Japanese countryside, as literally everyone they meet tries to kill them. <laughs> So the clips were actually added to the album at literally the last minute, RZA digging up the tape as a framing device for the album, and just kind of the idea is that he's striking a parallel between the life of a samurai and just life in the ghetto. So I haven't seen these movies, but I guess I'm probably Discord and Rhyme's resident like anime and manga nerd, and I have read a lot of the original uh, Lone Wolf and Cub uh, comics, which I would highly recommend. I didn't know that it was based, that they were based on comics. Yep. Okay, but then the monologue eventually ends uh, and, and transitions into the meat of the song. Sometimes you gotta fast and fast. You niggas don't know where this shit started. Y'all know where it came from. I'm saying we're gonna take y'all back to the source, the knowledge. Yeah. When the MCs came, tell them about the names and to perform some had to smoke cocaine, to act the same with the poor heat rock. Can't see it, but Mike is just jamming. get fights, I swing swords and cut clown. Shit is too swift to bite, you be caught and write it down. I blow like the blood on a murder scene, like a syringe. Want some wild out shit to insert a vein. But it was your walk the shop, stolen art, catch a swollen heart from not rolling smart. I put bad pressure on pony whack rhymes and get hurt. Sits plate like zodiac signs and sweatshirt. That's minimum and feminine like sandals. My minimum table stacks the first on the gamble. Energy you felt once the cause to death with the impact of roundhouse kicks from black belts that attack. Them white bones like cyclones or top bones. I represent from midnight to high noon. So we immediately hit a pair of samples on this song, and there are a lot of samples on this album because it's hip hop. <laughs> and so both of the samples are from trumpeter and band leader Willie Mitchell. So the song opens with a bit from the song Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. Mm-hmm. 
And the main beat is a direct cut and paste from his song Groovin'. later on the album, Rizzo is famous for really messing with his source samples, and this is a rare case of him pretty much leaving them intact. He just drops it right in there. Uh, is that right, Mike? Does it, does he do much to it? I'm, yeah. It's, I'm just going to look to you for all the sample stuff. It's taken pretty much as is. It's just uh, he takes it completely out of context. Yeah, but this is a case where even though Rizzo has just dropped the clips in, the surrounding context and his choice of edits turn two not particularly dark songs into a menacing minimalist soundscape. And this isn't the last time you're going to hear something like this on Liquid Swords. Hmm. So there isn't really much to the lyrical content of this song. Jizza has acknowledged that it's, quote, just braggadocios. But the When the MCs Came hook instantly establishes a signature for the album that stays with you even after just one listen. I know that that happened with me. Um, and I love Riz's contributions to the song, basically kind of acting as hype man, adding these like off key, just a little bit too late harmonies to Jizz's commanding rhymes, just enough to throw you off. <laughs> He's kind of flavor flavor in it. A little bit. Mm-hmm. So I loved this song pretty much on first listen. I always thought this was just fantastically good. Some of my favorite like Jizza boasts are in this song. I love him, like, talking about how, like, other MCs' lyrics are weak, like clock radio speakers. Yes. The yeah. The line that I love. And the line about, I put mad pressure on phony whack rhymes that get hurt. Shit's played like Zodiac signs on sweatshirts. <laughs> he just has such a great way of, like, turning a phrase and coming up with something unexpected and a little bit sideways. It's great. And I think... One reason I like this is we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, how I did not like rap music very much, like, you know, growing up. This song and a lot of songs on this other album kind of almost have like a rock music type drive to them. This one in particular. I mean, there's obviously like rapping and stuff over it because it's rap. But Hmm. like this doesn't sound like, you know, a lot of the quote unquote gangsta rap that was popular at the time. Like, this feels very different, and it's kind of got a much harder-hitting feel to it, like that kind of appeal to the, like, metalhead in me, even if the style of music is completely different. So it is definitely an amazing song. I agree. Uh, The intro clip is atmospheric, but it does go on a little long. It's like, well, now I don't need to watch the movie anymore. (laughs) Um, It ends effectively, but it just takes a while to get there. Uh, And I like generally when samples aren't just huge clips from something else. But as soon as it gets into that mercy, mercy, mercy sample that runs just as a a transition for a few seconds, I love it so much. It's warm and inviting. And then suddenly you get the contrast between that and the kick-ass rapping that just jumps out of your speakers. That opening verse with the bouncy beat. And like Rich said, the harmonizing between RZA and Jizza and that emphasis. Yeah, the <laughs> emphasis on the last word of each verse is just magical. And because it's RZA and Jizza who are my favorite uh, Wu-Tang members, that's about as high as Wu-Tang get for me. And uh, Phil pointed out a great line or two before. I'll just point out another one uh, from Jizza. I'd be the heart stopper, the body dropper. That's fierce. <laughs> He's just so good. I'll get more into that later, but he's just so good. Yeah, we're going to be mentioning a lot of great lines throughout this album. Yeah. Mike? 
Well, first off, there is a reason they call me producer Mike on this podcast and not <laughs> lyrical skill Mike. So my comments on this album... Are... I call you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do now. But uh, yeah, th there's a reason uh, my comments on this album are mainly going to be centered around Riz's production. Jizza has described Riz's production on this album as having a grimy, rock-like feel. And you can hear it right on the first song, as, as Phil mentioned. It, it has this very rock sort of feel. The beat is straight up and down, 4-4. Four, four. There's lots of mid-range energy, and mid-range is really where rock music lives. So right off the bat, this album is establishing itself as something different. Uh, Riza has this really great ability to zoom in on just this one brief bit of tension in an otherwise innocuous song, loop it, and build an entire song out of just that tension. And we're going to hear that a bunch of times on this album. And Jizza, he's easily my favorite MC in the Wu-Tang Clan. Not only are his rhymes always interesting and jam-packed full of metaphors and ways of describing things you never would have thought of, he's also got a voice that makes you instinctively sit down and shut up. And uh, just as a side note, I have not seen Shogun Assassin, but I did watch the two original movies it was edited together from, uh, Sword of Vengeance and Baby Cart at the River Styx. And there is so much death and dismemberment and bright red arterial spray shooting like 50 feet every time somebody gets stabbed. <laughs> it's awesome. Supposedly, Shogun Assassin is far inferior, but it's also in English, so that helps if you're sampling it. So let's move on to the second track, Duel of the Iron Mike. Hey, my name is Mike. <laughs> Iron Mike. Oh, mad one. We see your trap. You can never escape your fate. Submit with honor to a duel with my son. I agree. I see you using an old style. I wondered where you'd learned it from. You know very well. It's yours too. So the very end of that clip right there actually comes from Shaolin and Wu-Tang, which was a very formative movie for RZA and the Wu-Tang Clan that was already sampled extensively on the Enter the Wu-Tang album, providing a sort of continuity here. Uh, the beginning of it is another sample from Shogun Assassin. Uh, the Shogun orders the Ogami, the lone wolf, to either swear eternal loyalty or commit seppuku. Ogami tries to fight his way to freedom instead and is then ordered to submit to a duel, or submit with honor to a duel, <laughs> with the Shogun for his freedom. So the series is not called Dead Guy and Cub, so fill in the rest. <laughs> so let's get to the meat of this song, because it's great. Yeah, put your blood baths and elevate the shafts like these murderous rhymes tight from genuine craft. Check the print. Swear veterans, spark the lettering. Slow moving MCs is waiting for the editing. The liquid soluble that made up the chemistry, a gaseous element that burned down your ministry. Herbal vapors and biblical paper smoking exodus. Every square yard is plush. Fuck the screw face photo sessions. Facial expression leaves impression. Try to keep a sharp nigga guessing. Give praise and shout some. Here's the outcome. Cut across the semi-gloss rhymes your floor. Shit is outdated. Just like neck loads of sterling. Suede fronts, belt bottoms, and tri-color shirlings. I ain't particular. I bang like vehicular homicides in July 4th and best stop. So that was the Jizza who opens Iron Mike with two of my favorite bars in hip-hop. Picture bloodbaths and elevator shafts like these murderous rhymes tight with genuine craft. That's fantastic. So good. 
Yeah, and it just and it continues to be just as good the whole way through. I could just quote the entire thing, but I'm not going to. Just listen <laughs> to it. Uh, the Jizza has been called the head of the Wu Tang Clan when, as they say, they form like Voltron. Uh, listen to there's a skit on Enter the Wu Tang about that, um, and he's been noted for having one of the largest vocabularies in hip hop, just behind Aesop Rock and way on the other end of the spectrum from DMX. Woo! So in terms of samples, the main piano hook is a short loop from David Porter's I'm Afraid the Masquerade is Over, and I'm going to let the clip for it run a bit past the source because the tonal whiplash in the song is really, really funny. Oh, hello, Duel of the Iron Mike. Hey, where did you go? <laughs> And the song also samples Ennio Morricone's The Big Gun Down score. But Mike, I might need some help from you on that one, because I thought it was like the repeated crash that you hear in the song, the in the background. Uh, is that the thing from The Big Gun Down? Or I don't know, it's really tough to tell with the RZA sometimes. The sample from the big gun down is playing way in the background during the the Shaolin and Wu-Tang sample. And I don't know. Yeah, it's you have to really kind of strain to hear it. I don't know if Morricone's score was just repurposed for that movie or if RZA decided to just put it there. Both seem equally plausible. Yeah, I'm not sure. So one thing to note about RZA's production is, though I'm pointing out samples, this isn't really a case like Deltron where they're generally like pretty direct and cut and dry, though though Dan the Automator definitely has some like quirks here and there. Um, RZA creates his soundscapes by basically mangling and distorting his samples until they're just barely recognizable, so it's basically impossible for us to dig up every single source. So this is the song that starts to introduce all of the Wu-Tang MCs uh, to us. So we're going to start going down the line, and it's gonna, we're going to do it a little bit differently than usual for Discord and Rhyme episodes. I'm going to play a clip of a little bit of each MC's verse, and we can talk a little bit about each one. And uh, here's the most fun one to talk about. So the hook is delivered by Old Dirty Bastard. Yeah, that's all. Uh, he delivers the hook throughout the song. But honestly, his persona would kind of be at odds with the tone of Liquid Swords. So ODB is easily the Wu-Tang member I heard the most about growing up, except maybe Method Man. Uh, but because of ODB's frequent run-ins with the law, stunts like taking a limo to cash a welfare check during an MTV interview. <laughs> and unfortunately, his tragic death in October 2004 from an overdose. So... Uh, as an MC, ODB is best experienced in very short bursts, but he got his name because there is truly no father to his style, and that's a perfect way to describe it. Uh, his rhymes all sound like they've kind of accidentally tumbled together into something brilliant, uh, and from what I've heard about how mentally present he was at some recording sessions, that's uh, a pretty accurate description. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember reading one story about uh, ODB just emptying a fire extinguisher on a very expensive mixing board in the middle of a session. <laughs> but the, a story about old dirty bastard that i think sums up his style pretty well is from the late 90s uh he was contracted to appear on the insane clown posse track bitches uh which was not the title when they brought in odb 
ODB showed up and he just kind of rambled incoherently into the microphone for about eight hours without bothering to come up with rhymes or do anything. And then he just walked out, leaving the insane clown posse to be like, well, we got like eight hours of ODB. What are we going to do with this? This is nothing. So they they did the best they could to edit it into a coherent verse. But since most of what they got was him rambling about bitches, quote unquote, (laughs) they had to change the theme of the song. (laughs) I love this chorus. I think it's fierce and it's catchy, but I would bet money that getting him through that these 10 words required about 60 takes and several lines of coke. Let's move on to the first actual verse after Jizza, which is by Master Killer. This is not an 85 affair made clear when the guards geared on to perform. Storms blew up, moves up, causing the crowd to self-destruct. Killer bees are stinging something while I prevail. Science that's heavily guarded by the culprit. Bombing your barracks with aerodynamic foreplay. Poison darts by the doorway. So I wouldn't blame fresh Wu-Tang listeners for thinking that Jizza just took a second verse there, but that's actually Master Killer, kind of one of the forgotten members of the Wu-Tang Clan. Born Elgin Turner, he was the final member to join Wu-Tang and in fact didn't actually start off as an MC. Uh, he wrote his very first verse for the for Wu-Tang, for the Enter the Wu-Tang track, The Mystery of Chess Boxing, which is a great track. He, I think he gets the last verse on there. Jizza mentored him during the early days of the group, so he has honestly an extremely similar languid flow and twang to Jizza. He's like baby Jizza. Uh, even though he's around the same age. Uh, But as a result, it's hard for him to really stand out against one of the best MCs in Wu-Tang. And this verse honestly just feels much more like a series of scattered observations to me. Yeah, I I never remember Master Killer (laughs) when I think about the Wu-Tang Clan. He's the Stephen Breyer of the Wu-Tang Clan for me. (laughs) Master Killer and You God are the ones that nobody remembers. (laughs) You know, I I don't always recognize when it's him, but I've always liked Master Killer. It's he's always he's solid. He's solid. He's never annoying. Yeah, I don't dislike him at all. Yeah, I don't know how much a Master Killer solo album would be worth it. I don't even know if there is one. I assume there is by this point. <laughs> there are at least a couple. There's like um, the, there's one. Well, so he was the last Wu Tang member to drop a solo album, and the and as part of the joke, it came out in 2004, and it was called No Said Date. <laughs> But like just dropping a verse here and there, like when they, you know, he edits down to like, you know, per album, just a great verse here and there. He sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Master Killer. Pretty good. Okay, so the final verse is from Inspected Deck. A folks killed with drugs, plus the young bucks bust. Ducking handcuffs, throats get cut when dough rush. Out of town, foes look shook, but still pose. We move like real pros through the streets we stroll. Bullet holes lace the windows in 160. So controller avenues, that's the dream, that's soul. Building lobbies, the graveyards for small timers. Bitches caught in airport, keys in their vaginas. No yeah, not my favorite line on the album. Inspector Deck was born Jason Richard Hunter in the Bronx, and he was from the Park Hills Projects in Staten, where several Wu-Tang members came from. So RZA usually likes to unleash Deck first, quote, because he always sets it off right. And Deck, in fact, opens both Cream and Protect Your Neck, two of the most important songs on 36 Chambers, as well as Triumph from Wu-Tang Forever, uh, which is one of their most famous songs. But on both of his Liquid Swords verses, he uncharacteristically goes last. And coming after Jizza and Mastakilla's calmer verses, it feels like someone lit a fire underneath the song, like giving it this last burst of energy in the closing stretch. 
Um, it's also the first verse on the album to refer to the street life and the police in any way, which is kind of a foreshadowing of themes that will be explored in much more detail later in the album. Yeah, I love Deck. I mean, his, his lines on Enter the 36 Chambers are among my favorites, and he's just got this great, brash, outsized voice that I love listening to. Yeah, he's a, I'm, I'm a messiah. I set the microphone on fire. I like how the drums drop out right as he starts his verse in this song. It's like he's crashing into the song through a window or something. (laughs) Are there any other thoughts on deck? I don't think so. All right, then. Also on deck is the next song, Living in the World Today. Oh. (laughs) Check it out, son. Check it out, son. Yeah. Well, if you living in the world today, you be hearing the shine of the Wu Tang say. Nigga, that front, we don't have them. So we blast them, all right. Well, okay. Well, if you like the way you sound and clap, man. And if the woman of the two would then raise your hands But only raise your hands if you're sure Hulk nigga shatter like a glass jaw Break My rhyme gross weight via two combination Was too heavy for the Chevys It's chased out the station Double edge was the guillotine that beheaded it Gassed up Fucking with some regular unleaded shit Heads roll on hillsides behind ropes that bind in X marks the spot on the scope Heavily armed military is necessary, it's a gamble. MCs met they best at every. Powerful, terrible release might harm. If tampered with, set off and strike like pipe bombs. Flashbacks to the duel of the Iron Mike. Look out for these fatal flying spikes of massive sleep holes. Put strangles on commercial angles. Microphone cords tangled from being star spangled. Now who could ever say they heard of this? My motherfucking style is mad murderous. Well, if you like the way you sound, and clap, man. Clap, man. Clap, man. Clap, man. But only raise your hands if you're sure Talk nigga shining like a glass jaw Living in the world today really spotlights kind of the depth of Wu-Tang's connections to old school hip-hop Because uh, in, just in the intro, RZA has a spoken word intro and he gives a shout out to the ranch crew And according to Jizza, the hook of the song is a riff on a ranch crew hook Quote, and if you listen to me rap today, you'll be hearing the sounds that my crew will say and you know you wish you can write them. Well, don't bite them. Well, okay. So the Ranch Crew never released an album. So this is a true deep cut from Riza and Jizz's time going to block parties in the Bronx's teens. So that's pretty cool. Going to the samples, the intro to the song is sampled from Ann Sexton's I'm His Wife, parentheses, You're Just a Friend, close parentheses. It's so you hard to You said you weren't going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it is. You know... In every town, there's a certain kind of woman who's always going around trying to steal other women's husbands. And sure enough, there's one in this town. So yeah, as usual, take that and turn it into a nightmare landscape. Yeah. (laughs) And the horns, and yes, those are horns, come from the Barquet's song, In the Hole. So now we're getting into the kind of sampling that the RZA is known for. Skewed, distorted, grimy, and somehow strangely catchy and compelling. I can move my ass to the song. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> so, Way ahead of you. 
way ahead of me. <laughs> so this song features call and response vocals from Method Man, and we'll talk about him in more detail later because he actually gets a verse later. Uh, but hooks are one of his specialties. Uh, he came up with cash rules, everything around me, cream, get the money, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. And I know that I couldn't come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> and his album to Cal is basically this daisy chain of great hooks for like 45 minutes. So uh, my favorite jizz a bit on this song is this reference to Resist Studio. Um, and from that point, the God made a statement, draft and tracements, replacements and basements, materials and sheetrock to soundproof the beatbox, and microscopic optics received through the boxes. Wow. He makes it sound so easy. <laughs> <laughs> so what Riz is doing here is taking this one tiny little sample from this Anne Sexton track and playing it back on a keyboard sampler to make this really unsettling chord progression that's all minor chords. And we're also starting to get into polytonality here. Multiple bits of melody in different keys all clashing against each other. Like if Igor Stravinsky were a hip-hop producer. <laughs> he, he wasn't? <laughs> I, I guess you could make the argument. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but it's all so catchy in spite of itself. How? We are so lucky to have producer Mike. I say that unironically, but I I learn something every time. Yeah, this time I just went on whosampled.com and I was uh, and I just went to the original song and was like, I think that this part is this part, but I have no idea. Yeah, well, it's, it's what RZA does so much of the time. It's it's like he's sampling the like spaces between the music. Ooh, like he's like he's not sampling the song. He's sampling the atmosphere. I like that. Phil, what's your take? Now, this is another good one. Um, this album has a lot of good ones. <laughs> There's a jizz lyric on this song that always sticks in my head, and that's the line about being unbalanced like elephants and ants on seesaws. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also the point where we're talking about how catchy this is, but this still isn't commercial sounding at all. There's nothing commercial sounding on this whole record. I can't imagine, like, any radio station playing this. I mean, maybe a few did at the time, but there's really nothing on here that I would imagine hearing on a classic hip hop station. Yeah. And it really says something about how much of a cultural force the Wu-Tang Clan were that this album charted very high despite being doggedly uncommercial. Yeah, this is a strange album. The Wu-Tang were really weird and they yeah. were immensely popular which is a, a combination I, I wish i saw more yeah i mean they don't pander to anybody yeah maybe to martin shkreli the the pharma, <laughs> the pharma guy but that was later on in their career living in the world today has another one of those catchy 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 choruses as rich alluded to and it's got nothing to do with melody which always impresses me these guys, and especially Method Man, are geniuses at these chanted choruses that stick in your head. You could call them the hip-hop version of In Excess, but admittedly that would sound pretty clueless, and it might only make sense to me and Rich. Uh, <laughs> you and In Excess, Ben. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, just just me, Rich. <laughs> yeah, just, just Ben. I haven't it's heard also, all of In Excess's albums. Guns in the sky. <laughs> down, down. Guns in the sky. Down, down. Do a little dance. Make a little love. <laughs> The song also has a great harmonized intro that makes this Wu-Tang fan's heart happy. And I love when they verbalize their, their comic book sound effects like and chapow. 
<laughs> so this song kicks so much ass. That's not going to get me a job writing for Pitchfork, but whatever. I'm calling the music as it is. It kicks ass. It'll get you a job at Discord and Rhyme, Ben. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you can say about music like this. Like you, you can't, uh, you can't deduce why a song like this is great. You just, you have to, you have to feel it. It's a visceral thing. And Rich, when does this start paying? <laughs> <laughs> about that. <laughs> At my first newspaper job, like one of the phones made a noise that reminded me of the beginning of the song and got it stuck in my head all the time. So (laughs) that's a a really universal story, right? (laughs) So let's move on to track number four, Gold. What's the use of money if you ain't going to break the mold? (laughs) You beat me to it. Hey, yo, shorty, yo, that's my word. Oh, y'all smell on y'all piss now. Y'all think y'all want Yo, anybody be caught flinging. Over here, I'm returning them. That's my word, they get me blasted. Anything from 220 to 140, that's mine. Y'all niggas step the fuck off. Y'all niggas ain't crazy for real. Yo, the things ain't coming fast enough. There is no cut that's clear enough. I can't fold, I need gold. I read up and reload. Product must be sold to you. I'm deep down in the back streets, in the heart of Medina. About to set off something more deep than a misdemeanor. Under the subway, waiting for the train to make noise. So I can blast a nigga in his voice for what? Who pushed up on the block and make the dope sales drop like the crash in the Dow Jones stock? I had to connect the cross seals to catch more mills than whole bitches got birth control pills. I'm in the park. Setting up a deal over blunt fire Bum nigga sleeping on the bench, they had him wired Peep my convo, the address of my condo And how I changed a nigga named the John Doe And while he set up camp, he got damp With the stake through his heart, I ripped his fucking fangs apart Snake got smoked on the set like Brandon Lee Blown out the frame like Pan Am Flight 103 He got swung Okay, things are gonna chill out soon But this is a really sample-heavy couple of songs coming up So buckle up So... <laughs> In terms of production, Gold is just peak RZA. His beats on the first few songs were eerie, but they were recognizable as hip-hop beats in some alternate dimension. Here, he just kind of throws a wall of jagged metal at you. I'm, I bet, Mike, I bet you love this one. Oh, this is one of my absolute favorites, for sure. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, first, my opinion. <laughs> anyway, said wall of jagged metal is apparently composed of... So, first, Cannonball Adderley and Nat Adderley Sextet's Aries. This is... Aries Aram, ruled by the planet Mars, god of war. That clip is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of these are. Uh, It also samples Mongoose by Elephant's Memory, a.k.a. the backing band on Sometime in New York City, everyone's favorite John Lennon album. And it also samples Stanley Black's Meadowland. And I'm sure there's more where that came from. So these pieces somehow come together to form gold. Mike, put these together to form gold. You have 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> what do I win? Uh, as far as I can tell, Riz is taking this one fuzzed out guitar note from the beginning of that uh, Cannonball and Nat Adderley track and doing the same thing he did with the Ann Sexton sample in Living in the World Today, which is pitching it up and down on his keyboard to create this kind of nauseatingly chromatic doom metal riff. And then uh, the Elephant's Memory track, I think he's he's just layering, you know, that ah, he's just kind of layering that in there. And uh, 
the Stanley Black, uh, that's uh, that's just going on during the verses to create that uh, hordes on horseback coming to cut your head off feel. <laughs> it's a great feel. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. So Gold is the first song on Liquid Swords that is completely devoted to the street hustle. It's told from the point of view of a, of a drug dealer at various points in uh, in their rise up the ranks. All of the Wu-Tang Clan were at least tangentially connected to this world simply because it was just part of life. Uh, only Ghostface and Raekwon were really deep in the life, but uh, Method Man was also notably a drug dealer, and he even calls back to that life by laying claim to a block of the Park Hills projects in the intro to this song. Uh, this is another one with Method Man. Uh, so even when they weren't part of the life, the threat of violence was always just around the corner. Uh, one of the many daring events that gave ODB his legacy was that one day some guys rolled up in a car and pointed a shotgun at everyone, and he just kind of just grabbed it out of their hands like it was nothing. <laughs> he was nuts. <laughs> So uh, a couple of bars really stand out in this song. Uh, a kingpin just castled with his rook and lost a pawn, a regular on the block that played lookout. Uh, so chess is a central piece of the Wu-Tang philosophy, and there's a whole chapter devoted to it in Riza's The Wu-Tang Manual, or as I call it, The Riza Explains It All. <laughs> <laughs> and the book provided a lot of material for this episode. So Rizza considers chess a martial art, and he's actually won the Celebrity Chess Kings Invitational Tournament twice in 2007 and 2014. So wow. presumably in 2021, he's going to kick some ass again. <laughs> chess is something that they would definitely come back. Most explicitly, there's an album Jizza did with DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill called Grandmasters, where every song has its title taken from something in chess and all of the lyrics like relate to chess. It's actually a very solid album, but they, he, he really got explicit about it later. I'm going to dampen things here a little bit, though. I agree with uh, you guys about how great the song is. I mean, it's just typically great Wu-Tang, but it's got an Achilles heel that is common to a lot of Wu songs, and that is the Wu-Tang beat. Um, I'm second to none in my admiration for the RZA and his production style. It's creative, it's dense, it's clever, it's never trite. He's legitimately a genius. And wow, who knew he was that good at chess too? But at least to my ears, it's all based on that same beat. Every Wu-Tang song has that one beat that goes boom, boom, ch, boom, 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 ch. And what RZA piles on top of that is brilliant and era-defining. In this case, it's an eerie synth line, sampled horn riffs, ominous chanting. Mike talked about all this before. None of it is prominent enough to draw attention to itself or to seem cheesy. It's great. It's, it's like a haunted house for robots. Um, and it's an ideal bed for Jizz's typically badass rapping. But I wish that the RZA would just vary the beat a little bit. Boom, boom, ch, ba-boom, boom, ch, boom, boom, ch, ba-boom, boom, ch, rinse and repeat. Well, uh, it might not surprise you to find out that the drummer on this album is Keith Strickland, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the I really like the beat on this album, just how like steady it is the entire time. Like I think the album I checked it I, ch I actually checked and the album hovers around ninety two beats per minute for the entire running time. Like yeah, uh, you don't you don't just do that by accident, right? It's a great beat, but I wish he would vary it up the way he varies up all the other sounds on the album. I don't have a problem with it yet because by this point, all the songs are still incredibly good. I start to get a little bit iffier on it around the back third of the album, but we'll get there when we get there. This this one is one of my absolute favorite RZA productions of all, full stop. Called it. 
<laughs> the whole thing just sounds like prepare for death. Just those, those <laughs> choir samples he throws in there just strike fear into you. It's chilling. I love it. This also has one of Jizza's coolest lyrics when he's describing the drive behind making money being a drug dealer. There's a line in there about wanting to make more money than someone who promised his mom's a mansion with mad room. She died and he still put a hundred grand in her tomb. <laughs> That's a great lyric. That's yeah, it is. And this album's just full of them. So as I sit here in my sweltering den, I'm happy to move on to Cold World. By Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> Doodles don't have sex with noids. <laughs> I had a bad dream. Don't be afraid. That's more from Shogun Assassin. Surprise. Bad dreams are only dreams. What a time you chose to be born. I love that clumping beat. Yeah. It was the night before New Year's and all through the fucking projects. Not a handgun was silent, not even a tech. Outsiders were stuck by enemies who put fear and blasted on the spot before the pigs were dead. You know hoods robbing snipers, new in sight. Fuck blue and white, they escaped before them flashed the fucking lights. Gunshots shatter first floor window panes. Shells hit the ground and blood stained the dice game. Weather broke calisthenic, any style you said it. Beat niggas toothless, physically cut up like gooses. But with iron on the side, thugs took no excuses. Therefore, your 52 hand blocks is useless. Links were snatched off necks, scars on throats. Jackets took after bullet rips coats against those who felt the cold from the steel made them fold and squeal. Once the metal hit the temple of his grill, construction worker who was caught for his bomber. No time to swing the hammer that was hanging from his farmers. In his bog, Cold World has probably the most striking and recognizable sample, or, well, technically it's an interpolation uh, on Liquid Swords. <laughs> So the chorus sung by Riz's cousin Life is an interpolation of the chorus of Rocket Love by our old friend Stevie Wonder. Which, by the way, I had no idea what this was an interpolation of. I heard this for years and didn't know. Then, when I was in college, I bought a copy of Hotter Than July by Stevie Wonder, and then that came on, and I <laughs> blew my mind, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that one because it sounds like Stevie's chorus was, like, left to decay for thousands of years at the bottom of a mine shaft in Siberia or something. Yeah. <laughs> But there's another sample that will appeal to you music nerds as well. So the main riff of the song is from the chorus outro to Plastic People by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. Plastic people, oh baby, now you're such a drag. Right there. That know, little bit right there. You just get tired of you, honey. It's, uh, it's your hair spare or something. That's crazy because, you know, I've listened to... Plastic People by Frank Zappa probably 300 times in my <laughs> life. And I've probably listened to 
liquid swords not that many times but a lot of times and i never put that together which it really goes to show how good rizza is at taking little pieces of things and reassembling them into something completely new yeah i mean why would you be listening for it right listening to plastic people exactly yeah your brain is just not like set for that I think part of my brain might have actually exploded when I found out that guitar part is sampled from plastic people. Somebody I mean, rigged up a champagne bottle with a cork. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a foreshadowing for later. <laughs> so the strings are from Elmer Bernstein's Love and Ambition, showing that Riza is indeed down with the granny music. From the Ten Commandments soundtrack. And then there's echoing guitar noise, uh, and thanks for identifying this mic, and it comes from the dramatics in the rain. So Cold World continues the street thread of gold, but it's it's more of a day in the life, middle of winter sort of theme. In fact, Riza intended Liquid Swords to have sort of a wintry feel, and it's most present here, and not just because of the title. So... Jizza also opens it with, it was the night before New Year's and all through the fucking projects, not a handgun was silent, not even a tech, uh, which is a clear <laughs> allusion to the night before Christmas. Uh, I had to look that up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it gives the song a wintertime storybook sort of framing that reminds me a lot of uh, Slick Rick's children's story. Once upon a time not long ago, when people wore pajamas and lived life slow, where laws were stern and justice stood, and people were behaving like they ought to good. There lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he said. Rizza said that he wanted listeners to feel like they were in their cars just shivering, and I think he succeeded. Uh, but So I want to get a little bit more into Staden, which I haven't mentioned. I haven't actually mentioned yet. They call it Shaolin. Uh, I can't believe it's this far into the episode before I've said that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I, I glossed quickly over Riza's near brush with prison and returned to Shaolin in April 1991. But uh, it was actually a seriously dark and soul-searching time for him. Like, he apparently wandered the streets for months just thinking up his next move, uh, which is what led to him studying up on the music business and becoming the very, very talkative Riza we know. Uh, and so... One thing about Staten that's interesting geographically is that Riza could just take long walks. Like, he, he did a really great interview that I'll link in the show notes with Joshua Jelly Shapiro for the book Nonstop Metropolis. And he talks about how in Brooklyn, the projects were in dense clusters and walking between them always meant walking on turf. So Staten is much more suburban and there are large residential areas between the projects and more space to spread out. And people would, in fact, often do like odd jobs for the homeowners, like building a sense of community. Uh, so this is how the members of Wu-Tang were able to just wander over to Riz's place. So the geography and isolation of Staten Island enabled the Wu-Tang clan to exist. Urban planning is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that I really like that. I did not know. Yeah, I'll link the essay. It's really, really great. Uh, the book is by Rebecca Solnit, uh, or is, is partially edited by Re Rebecca Solnit, who is an urbanist who invented the word mansplaining. <laughs> so life also sings a bridge toward the end of the song. As I walk on by 
Yeah, so that is another interpolation of DeBarge, not El DeBarge, uh, his <laughs> Love Me in a Special Way, which uh, continues the slick 80s R&B theme. So this isn't my favorite song on the album, but it might be the one that impresses me the most. Cold World is right. And something neat that Rizzy used to do, Rich mentioned this, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it a little more. Uh, he used to like to fit the mood of his productions to the time of year when the album would be released. And Liquid Swords was released in November of 1995, so he wanted to give it that cold, wintry feel it has. And it doesn't get any colder than Cold World. <laughs> and in terms of atmosphere, this can go toe-to-toe with any of the black metal that was coming out of Norway around the same time. It's grim. It's dark. It's frostbitten. The main difference is that Norwegian black metal was made by rich kids who decided to be evil because they were bored. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cold World uh, depicts a world that no one willingly chose to live in. The lyrics describe a housing project erupting into violence, and brilliantly so. Uh, but the music sounds so chillingly empty. There's there is more than one genius on this album. <laughs> well, th- this song has an amazing backing track, as described uh, by Mike and Rich. It's got that eerie repeating synth line and those little guitar stabs that I really like. I do think that extended interpolation of, of Rocket Love is a little lazy. Uh, it's like something Puff Daddy might have tried. And if he's not called Puff Daddy anymore, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> So that is a few points against the RZA. Well, it was, on the other hand, just, it was apparently just improvised in the studio. Like life was just singing the Stevie Wonder song and they just decided to turn it into a hook. OK. And yeah. I mean, kind of along those lines that and, and as Phil pointed out, Rocket Love was not a big song. I had never heard of it. And I'm a Stevie fan, um, but I'd never heard of it before I heard Cold World. So. It didn't strike me as an obvious sample, uh, so it probably didn't strike many people as an obvious sample. As usual, Jizza is the coolest, smartest guy in the room. I don't even always pay attention to his words. He's just mesmerizing to listen to. He's clear, authoritative, and cool with, with his leathery Brooklyn accent. Basically, he's the only person who could address me as son without either sounding condescending or being my father. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the song Labels. A lot of people, you know what I'm saying? Like you thinking everything is everything. You get to keep yourself a little bill, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You're going to get on, you're going to get rich. And all these labels, we're trying to lure us in like spiders into the web, you know what I'm saying? So sometimes people got to come out and speak up and let people understand that, you know, you got you got to read the label. You got to read the label. If you don't read Paul, the label, you might get poisoned. Tommy ain't my motherfucking boy When your fake moves on a nigga you employ Who will emerge off your set? Now you know, goddamn, I show Living large niggas how to flip a death jam And rough up the motherfucking house Cause I saw that you cold chillin' motherfuckers I still want a brother I'm ruthless, my clan don't have to act wild That shit is job And no sleeping bag profile The soft comedian rap shit ain't the rough witty On the real of real, it wasn't from a tough city Niggas be game Thinking that they lyrical surgeons They know they mics are phone the virgin and if you ain't wrong the mic you couldn't hurt a beat that's like going to venus driving the mercury the capital of this rugged slang is wu-tang with the unpredictable talent natural game 
I'm death throwing them she with Mike Cables, the epic. Is that a rush associated labels from East West to Echo? I bring it I feel like there should be a counter going. <laughs> I'm hitting batters up with the wow pitch style. I even someone up. I love wordplay song. <laughs> Black Alicious has a bunch of them. I'm thinking of like uh, what chemical chemical calisthenics is that one of them? Yeah. The one that's just a bunch of like the one that's just the periodic table and stuff. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, and Jizz is pretty fond of them too. Uh, so on this song, Jizz references uh, by my count 26 record labels, and I'm going to list them. So there's Tommy Boy, the label that released "Ooh I Love You, Rakim," uh, who you hear memorably at the beginning of the song. Def Jam, Rough House, Cold Chillin', which is the label that released "Words from the Genius." Ruthless, Jive, Sleeping Bag, Tough City, Virgin, Mercury, Death Row, Epic, Next Plateau, Wild Pitch, Uptown, Fourth and Broadway, Island, Priority, A&M, Pendulum, Columbia, Atlantic, Bad Boy, Geffen, Motown, and CBS. Uh, Notice how you don't recognize most of those? That's because we're 24 years further into the entertainment industry's slow bleed into only being Disney. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) <laughs> so RZA considered and considers the Wu-Tang Clan a business and managed to ink a unique contract with Loud Records, which um, let them release Enter the Wu-Tang on Loud while each individual Wu member managed to remain a free agent. So uh, each Wu solo album came out on a different label with RZA hoping to match each MC's style to their according label's target demographics. And Wu has remained a business since, like branching out into Wu-Wear, which I don't have any Wu-Wear. Do you have any Wu-Wear? No. no, I have some Wu wear. Oh, cool! Uh, and also the PlayStation video game Wu Tang Shaolin style, which I have not played. Nor have, I, I. have you played? It? I actually played a little bit of that. Wow! I don't remember it very well. Though when I think of a uh, Wu wear, I think of a track that was on some later album. I forget what the album even was, but the final track on it was titled Wu Wear colon The Garment Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> So just make sure to throw two of the sharpest barbs in the song at Tommy Boy, Riz's old label, and Cold Chillin', his old label, um, for obvious reasons. I also really like Witty Unpredictable Talent and Natural Game as a, a as like an after-the-fact acronym for, or a backronym, I guess you call it, for, uh, for Wu-Tang. It joins Guru's Gifted Unlimited Rhymes Universal in the Hall of Awesome Convoluted Hip-Hop Acronyms, and, and <laughs> there's probably more where that came from. And so we have a we have a sample on here and it's Thelma Houston's Don't Lead Me This Way. And I was struggling to identify the exact part, but if it's that drone that keeps popping in and out of the song, Riza seems to be going for kind of a Mellotron effect, which if that's true, Mike, it's Discord and Rhyme endorsed, that's for sure. Yeah. That's that's exactly what he's doing, and it's brilliant. He's just taking this Mellotron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Rizatronics or something. Uh it's it's ghostly. I like that. Yeah, he's just taking this one little snippet of this song and turning it into this really creepy drone. I I honestly wonder if Riza decides what to sample just by putting the needle down on a record at some random <laughs> point in the middle and sampling whatever happens. This, I mean, I can see how somebody might consider this like a relatively minor track on the album. Like, it's not very long. It kind of fizzles out after two minutes. But I've always liked this one a lot. It's funny. It's clever. And, you know, the message about how record labels are not necessarily your friends is very much on point. He could have collaborated with Tom Petty. He ver- he could have <laughs> cranky old men sing at clouds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
when when he's listing record labels, I initially heard Atco as Abco, and I thought, hey, Jizz is also upset about their sloppy <laughs> handling of the Rolling Stones' 1960s catalog. But no, it's Atco, and I, I'm sure they suck too. What? Whenever Jizz is rapping, all I can think in response is, yes, sir. I agree, sir. Now, please don't hack me to pieces with your words, sir. What? You want me to purchase your more recent solo albums, like from after the Wu-Tang's heyday? Yes, sir. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> no, you're doing it because Wilson and Alroy told you to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sirs. Yeah, this is one of my favorite songs on this record. It's short. It's to the point. Like, it's in and out in two minutes. It's got a great hard-hitting beat. The lyrics are unbelievably clever and fun, and you can listen to them over and over again, picking up on all the little twists Jizza does. It's just a great track. He tried the same trick again on his next solo album, Beneath the Surface, with a song called Publicity, which is the same thing, but with magazines. Hmm. And it is uh, considerably lesser than labels, though I think a lot of that is just <laughs> because of a lack of RZA. Is he like highlights? <laughs> Ranger Rick. <laughs> Penny ain't got no power. Boy's life. He only he only does magazines that, that children read when they're seven years old. <laughs> if it doesn't contain an ad in the back for joke gum, then he's not interested. <laughs> Game pro. So let's move on to the next track, Fourth Chamber. Choose the sword. And you will join me. Yet another clip from Shogun Assassin. Choose the ball, and you join your mother in death. You don't understand my words, but you must choose. As to whether he chooses the sword or the ball, well, the series isn't called Lone Wolf and Dead Cub. Posse cut. Uh, well, technically, I guess Duel of the Iron Mike was one, but I think this is the purest posse cut on the album. So, uh, a posse cut is when you line a bunch of MCs verses up, like just all in a row, generally four or more, and oftentimes you don't even pause for a hook. Uh, so, their single Triumph is Wu's signature posse cut with because uh, it features all nine original Wu MCs plus uh, Capadonna, who's kind of their unofficial tenth member. And uh, Seventh Chamber from the Enter the Wu-Tang album is also legendary, featuring seven MCs, and it's the seven best ones. <laughs> uh, so uh, for a deeper dive on Posse Cuts, I recommend the Dissect podcast episode on Kanye West's So Appalled, though Mike is probably bristling at the mention of a track from My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Uh, I've, I've long since accepted that I'm kind of alone in my dislike of that album. 
I don't <laughs> like it very much either. So you're not entirely alone. <laughs> well, if anyone if anyone agrees with Mike or strongly disagrees, send mail to discordpod at gmail.com. So uh, Fourth Chamber has managed to kind of transcend Liquid Swords and has just become a general part of the Wu-Tang repertoire. Like, um, I've seen, as I mentioned, I saw Jizzle live, and I've also seen Ghostface live a few a few years back. Um, and I don't have perfect recall of either concert. Like I said, live hip-hop is a very scattershot experience that I don't highly recommend. Um, but I'm pretty sure they both wrapped their Fourth Chamber verse, like, in between various drunk white people in beanies shouting their other favorite Wu verses at the, sta- at the stage. Uh, but even they couldn't hope to taint this track, which honestly might be my favorite Woo track of all time. It's just so good. Uh, so the only sample that uh, that is listed for this track, it's uh, it's what I believe is the opening note from Kalyani Anandji's theme to the 1975 Bollywood movie Dharmatma. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so Riz is just uh, playing that one note, like humming throughout the song. That that's Bollywood. Yeah. So uh, the rest of the production, I got nothing, and it may just be various keyboard and drum machine effects that Riz put together in the studio, like usual. Whatever the case, it's it's a really impressive tapestry. Uh, so Riz is very deliberate in how he orders verses and shapes his tracks, and it's uh, it's really really noticeable on this track in particular because he got these four MCs who kind of pass the baton back and forth in terms of like their energy and intensity level. Uh, Fourth Chamber kicks off with Ghostface Killer, born Dennis Coles, and uh, he was actually Riz's roommate at one point in the Stapleton projects. Um, so every Wu member, as I said, brushed against the street life and the law, um, but Ghostface really really lived it. Uh, a, a quote. Permanently drunk, coke-sniffing dusthead, in his words, who Rizza described as actually, like, tossing people around in nightclub brawls like he was the thing. And that's in Rizza's words. <laughs> as an MC, Ghostface has just this unique energy. Like, he sounds like he's bursting at the seams with lyrics and painting detailed pictures almost faster than the, than the beat can handle. Like, you just never know where a Ghostface rhyme is heading or just where he even pauses to catch for breath. He's probably got the best solo career of any Woo member. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely going to recommend some later. I I know he's good, but he's never stuck out to me like the others. Ghostface is an interesting one because, uh, well, RZA has said, I think this is in the the Wu-Tang manual, that that, uh, when other uh, producers make a track for Ghostface, he he always ends up sounding like a little kid because in in (laughs) RZA's words, they don't know the frequency. And it's it's true. He he always sounds different on on a RZA beat than on anybody else's. Well, Rizzo has different like settings for each Wu Tang member, right? Right. He's got yeah, or, or at least you know in the in the the Wu Tang heyday, he had in his studio he would have a, a microphone set up for each member, and it would have its own effects chain on it, so anybody could walk in and just do their verse in their mic. Well, and and we've talked about this before in reference to all of the different settings that you have for each of us and all of our like individual quirks. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the beginning, I did. Uh, yeah, I've take, taken a bit of a cue from Rizzo there. Mike is our Rizza. <laughs> I will say that the one producer who I think does Ghostface right other than Rizza is MF Doom. Hmm. He like knows how to throw down under Ghostface. 
Okay, so let's get to the next MC in this posse cut. So without even skipping half a bar, we meet Killer Priest. I judge wisely, as if nothing ever surprised me. Lounging between two pillars of ivory, I'm lively. My dome piece is like building stones in Greece. My poems are deep from ancient bones I speak. I'm overwhelmed as my mind roams around. My eyes I love that little organ chord that jumps in there. It shows yeah. up twice in the song, just two yeah. times. And it stands out, and it's so great. Yeah. Yeah, so Killer Priest is the only MC on the album who isn't officially part of Wu-Tang, uh, so I don't really know a lot about him. The, the number of Wu-Tang affiliates has accumulated over the years to the point that if you look at the Wikipedia list for Wu-Tang affiliates, it has the disclaimer, this is a dynamic list and may never be able to satisfy particular standards for completeness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's an unquantifiable number of Wu-Tang members or, or tangential Wu-Tang members out there. But as far as Killer Priest goes, I do really like the self-titled 2005 album by his group Black Market Militia, in case you want to hear more from him. Killer Priest is, is like the, the delegate from Guam who's sort of in the House of Representatives, but not really <laughs> in the House of Representatives. I do like the the track that's at the end of the album, uh, Bible, that I know Rich will talk about later. He's a good little there, bit. at least. A track <laughs> that is entirely him and Jizza isn't even on. I think I think this is a good verse. Uh, well, so one thing about Killa Priest is actually that Master Killa actually beat him out for the one verse that Master Killa had on Thirty Six Chambers, and so and then went on to become like the ninth Wu Tang member. So in another quantum reality, Killa Priest <laughs> is the ninth Wu Tang. Yeah. <laughs> and and Master Kill is on this song and we're like, who's this guy? Right. <laughs> Did Rizza make them fight each other or something? That that's kind of creepy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes he did. <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's get to the third MC in line, who is the RZA. Yeah. Yeah, who contributes his only full verse on the album. Hey, yo, camouflage chameleon, ninja skill in your building. No time to grab the gun, they already got your wife and children. A hit was sent from the president to raid your residence because you had secret evidence and documents on how they raped the continents. And it's the prominent, dominant Islamic, Asiatic, black Hebrew, the year 2002. The battle still with the rule. Six million devils just died from the bubonic flow of the So RZA is an interesting kind of inconsistent mc and how much i like him varies a lot from track to track he's awesome here when he's fired up like he is here the way he spits out his rhymes at like rapid fire uh, the words almost sound too big for his mouth uh, <laughs> in a way and and there's this like staccato monotone that he does really well uh, but in the wrong context he can sound really aimless uh, but I love this verse, and not just because he rhymes boiling lakes of hot oil with getting slim like olive oil, which is to say, O-Y-L, the Popeye character. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts on RZA, the rapper? He's one of the weakest rappers in the Wu-Tang Clan overall, but I think he's OK. And the fact that he does all the amazing production you know, more than makes up for it. But of the original volley of Wu-Tang solo albums, I would say RZA's uh, Bobby Digital in Stereo is probably the weakest one. Yeah. I'll be, yeah. I'll be covering that in detail. Yeah. Well, so one thing I'll say about RZA is that uh, well, he's he's amazing on Enter the Wu-Tang because he basically shouts the entire album. And RZA sounds <laughs> really cool when he shouts. Right. Uh, yeah. But I bet that um, but I bet that that was really hard on his voice. I would imagine so, yeah. But, yeah. but that's but that's him shouting Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with and uh, <laughs> bring the motherfucking ruckus and other titles that we can say on this episode with the explicit tag. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love RZA as an MC. I, I think he's my favorite. I'm not saying he's the best <laughs> by any means, but he's just so brash, balls to the wall. He's so unapologetic about his speech impediment. He makes you sit the F up and listen. And maybe that is good rapping. I don't know, but I'm a big fan in any case. Does he have an actual speech impediment? Because I don't want to sound like I was making fun of him. Uh, he, it, oh, I'm going to deeply make fun of it later. But, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that unless it's just how he raps, waps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he he definitely raps like he talks really quickly. Yeah. And the jizza comes last in the song, and uh, for the sake of brevity, I'm not going to include it. But uh, it kind of reminds me of an observation that John made about uh, that John McFerrin made about Roger Waters singing "Brain Damage" and "Eclipse" at the end of "Dark Side of the Moon." Like coming at the end, jizza sounds kind of like the keynote speaker for the song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like coming up to the lectern. Uh, but the real reason he came last is a lot simpler. He hadn't finished his verse yet. Yeah, Jizza uh, famously kind of takes his time with his verses. And, you know, it doesn't take him an extremely long time, but it takes him longer than, than a lot of the others. So mm-hmm. he was he was still sitting there thinking of things. I'm just imagining him in like a chair in the background, like in the thinker pose. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) While everyone else is in line. Right. (laughs) But this is another one of my very favorite RZA productions. It's basically a psychedelic rock track just with rapping on top. The Kalyanji Ananji sample is the only one I could find a source for. And it's just that one note that repeats. But uh, I think uh, RZA himself provides a lot of, of what's going on here. That's, that's definitely him in the beginning doing that like Eno-esque pitch bend solo. Mm. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that part because he sounds like, you know, he sounds like me when I first discovered the pitch bend wheel on a keyboard. Like, woo, look what this can do. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, there's gotta be more going on than that. I'm hearing two drum loops, both playing the same basic, you know, Wu Tang beat that, that, uh, that Ben was talking about, but uh, it's they're they're <laughs> ever so slightly out of sync with each other, and I I hear that a little bit on Cold World too. One thing that I know RZA liked to do in his productions was play certain drum parts live, just smashing one button for the entire duration of the song, just like cat cat, with without uh. without quantizing it to any sort of grid or anything, so it would give his beats more of that strange. Uh, off kilter quality he was known for. He does it a lot on Enter the Wu Tang, but uh, he might be doing a, a similar thing here. Also in uh, the film The Thirty Sixth Chamber of Shaolin, which I have not seen, uh, but according to Wikipedia, this chamber trains wrist strength. Monks must strike a gong with a weighted pole to the rhythm of the headmaster's striking his wooden fish. Make of that what you will. I have seen the 36th chamber of Shaolin and uh, it's, it's this room where, yeah, he's, he's holding this like long pole, but, but from kind of an awkward angle, like he's holding it from like the very end, but it's long and he has to like lift it up and like, uh, and strike a gong in like, um, just in a repeated rhythm, which gets, you know, when you're doing that, it really hurts and you have to do it to the, to that exact rhythm over and over again. And the chambers are a lot of things like that. Yeah. So that's, that's where the title of this one comes from. Yeah. Phil, what's your take? Uh, you guys have su- summed it up pretty well. This one's great. I love that super distorted Bollywood sample that grinds under the whole song. I love that organ that pops up twice. <laughs> just two, It stabs out two times over the course of the song. <laughs> and it's just really cool. I love it. 
And then Jizza closing out the track, probably the best rapper here. He's got another great lyric in here that I wanted to point out, which is just, I got mouths to feed. Unnecessary beef is more cows to breed. <laughs> wow. Just an incredibly clever lyric. Yeah, but this is a candidate for the best woo related track. I don't know if it's my number one, but it's up there. There's no chorus here and it's not missed. There doesn't need to be a chorus this time right. around. This yeah, song not at all. This song could have been on Enter the 36 Chambers, and that is a high, high compliment for these high, high rappers. Seventh Chamber doesn't have a hook either. I don't think there are any hooks in the chambers. No hooks yeah. allowed. <laughs> so let's move on to Shadow Boxing. I breaks it down to the bone gristle. Ill speaking, scud missile, heat seeking. Johnny Blazing. Nightmares like Wes Craven. Niggas gunning. My third eye seen it coming before it happened. You know about them fucking statin kids, they smashing. Everything, huh? And in any shape, form, or fashion. Now everybody talking about they blasting. Hmm. Is you busting still or is you flashing? Hmm. Talking out your asshole. You should have learned about the flow in PZ Afro. Shaolin Shadow Boxing are the first two words that you hear on Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers in a clip from Shaolin and Wu-Tang that opens Bring the Ruckus. So cheap martial arts movies were a formative part of Rizzo's upbringing. Uh, he would ride the Staten Island Ferry to Manhattan and take the subway up to 42nd Street, or the Deuce, as you might know from the HBO show of the same name, uh, which at the time was the cultural center of grindhouse and porn theaters. Uh, so my only experience with the Deuce was taking five escalators to the top of the AMC Empire in 2015 to watch Dope a movie about selling MDMA on the dark web using cryptocurrency. <laughs> Times have changed. <laughs> so Rizzo would just go and watch a triple feature for $1.50, and he oftentimes would just play hooky with ODB and spend all day in the theater, surrounded by hustlers, heroin addicts, and people sniffing glue. But slowly as he watched the movies, they began to inform his general philosophy. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of Five Deadly Venoms, which is about five warriors with different animal styles. Um, the 36 Chambers of Shaolin, which we just mentioned, which is about a young kung fu student played by Gordon Liu, who conquers the 35 chambers of the Shaolin Temple and creates a 36 chamber of his own. So that just makes me think the five deadly venoms. I wonder if that was an influence for Kung Fu Panda. I'm going to have to look that up now. <laughs> <laughs> They very well might have been. I mean, these movies are in are in like wide release on like DVD and Blu-ray, I think. Uh, and of course, Shaolin and Wu Tang, which is about two competing styles of kung fu that eventually come to complement one another. So I, I watched all three of these movies as well as Shogun Assassin, and through my extensive research, I can report to you that they are awesome. <laughs> 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 that is my thesis on these movies I watched for this episode. Um, as for Shadowboxing itself, the sample is a sped up track from the song Troubles, Heartaches, and Sadness by Ann Peebles. Yeah, so just that oh man right there. Um, and just to bring up Kanye West a third time, if anyone tells you that he came up with the whole chipmunk soul thing, just point them here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's time for the MC that we've all been waiting for. Method Man! M-E-T-H-O-D Man. <laughs> <laughs> so that was him rapping at the beginning. Uh, 
born Clifford Smith in Hempstead, Long Island, which is in Nassau County, I believe. If you just keep going east, uh, only I care about this. Uh, <laughs> Meth, Meth grew up in the Park Hills projects in Staten, like several other Wu-Tang members. So um, Method, the word, comes from Meftical, slang for weed, because apparently nobody smoked as much weed as Method Man. <laughs> and from what I heard, Enter the Wu-Tang and just this entire whole suite of solo albums were just produced in the middle of a continuous cannabis cloud. So that's saying something. <laughs> Smoked a lot. Uh, but anyway, Meth may be the most, he's not my favorite, but he may be the most technically gifted Wu-Tang MC. So Rizza always turned to him for hooks. Uh, like I said, he did the cream hook uh, because he just has this supernatural ability to come up with something that sounds fresh. And uh, it's not just hooks. It extends to his verses where it just feels like he's always coming up with something new in a different rhythm. I, I liken his style to like doing a really deep clean of a big messy kitchen using a scrub brush where you have to like scrub in all sorts of different directions and motions at like different levels of intensity, sometimes getting in really deep to clean one tiny crevice. And the result of so many messy motions is something pristine and beautiful. I love wow. cooking. <laughs> I noticed. I might have just done a lot of like deep cleaning of my co-op kitchen while listening to Method Man and, and <laughs> <laughs> I came to bring the pain. Uh, anyway, he's also the most successful actor of any of the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, appearing on both Oz and The Wire as Cheese Wagstaff, which is one of the show's most memorable characters. He's he's pretty great. Um, and he apparently also had a very, very short-lived Fox summer sitcom with Red Man called Method and Red. Did any of you watch Method and Red? No. no. No? But I have seen the movie How High, in which Method Man smokes Benjamin Franklin's ashes. <laughs> <laughs> Method Man, not again. <laughs> but yeah, Method Man is great. <laughs> I like how this song almost comes across as the ballad of the album, just because it has more space in it than the others. Like, it's just not a wall coming at you. It might not be the most interesting production on the album, because it just kind of rides that one sample. But it's not just, he didn't just take a loop from the song. If you if you listen to that clip, it, he took two little pieces of it and spliced it together to make that loop. And it's, it works really well. Plus, mm -hmm. you've, you've got Jizza and Method Man on top sounding as badass as they usually do. So I don't have a whole lot of interesting observations about this song, but I like it a lot. Jizza and Method Man sound good together. Their styles really complement each other very well. This is one of my favorite tracks on the whole record. It's great. Uh, a similar track, if you like the sound of Method Man and Jizza together, is As High As Wu-Tang Get on the Wu-Tang hmm. Forever album, where it's also just Jizza and Meth, and it's fantastic. Other than that, I mean, I love how the organ sounds on this. I also want to give a special shout out for Jizza referencing professional wrestler Ken Patera. <laughs> with the lyric my style broke motherfucking backs like ken patera wow. which a lot of old rappers really like to reference professional wrestling i feel professional wrestling was probably a mainstay for a lot of them growing up and i love professional wrestling a lot too so i love spotting these old professional wrestling references in rap yeah as mike said that the backing track is simple but it definitely does the job um, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Jizza is just so good, as always. I mean, Method Man is good here, but he never sticks out to me as much. Jizza's uh, in a different class. And when he raps, I always pay attention. Okay, let's move on to Hell's Wind Staff slash Killa Hills 10304. 
Okay, so this starts off with the one skit on liquid swords. Time for the skit, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's a good life, you know? Uh, Mr. Bobby Still, the Tony Stark's on line one for Mr. Bobby Still. Peach, Stark's, what's going on, baby? Yeah, everything is lovely over here. Yeah, no, the Ma Max Miller didn't show up yet. I'm over here with noodles and I got lucky hands with me. Yeah. Yeah, Graco's right in front of me right now. Graco's standing right here. Dan, it goes on like that for a while. So Genius, the website that is not Jizza, calls the opening skit one of the best skits in the history of hip-hop, huh? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the bar is pretty low when you compare it to Ludacris sitting on the toilet. <laughs> but then again, I don't know what else to call what we do at the beginning of each Discord and Rhyme episode, but skits, so I might be entering hypocritical territory by making fun of them. I mean, but our I Discord and Rhyme intros are sound art rich. <laughs> it's it's nothing on Big Boy from Outcast coaxing his son into saying the word motherfucker. <laughs> I like Riza loves playing the gangster and and just being pure id, loud and obnoxious. And anytime he's acting, he just gets to let that all hang out. He's bad at it, but it's still entertaining. He did a guest arc on the TV series Californication. Don't ask me how I know about it. Uh, <laughs> he played a vaguely fictionalized version of himself called Samurai Apocalypse. And he's the same there. I mean, he's a bad actor, but he's brash and compelling anyway. But yeah, it's a pointless skit. <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing about the skit to me is that you're hearing two recordings at once. You've got one that's the skit itself, performed by Riza, Mastakella, and Dreddy Kruger. And the <laughs> other is a recording of just various ambient sounds made by Jizza and Killa Priest while they were just out walking around one day. So that's why... Oh. Ambient, you say? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why you hear uh, Jizza complaining about motorcycle noises in the background while this drug deal is going on. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Frank Zappa called this process xenocrony, and he used it in his own music to combine, for instance, a guitar solo and a rhythm track that had both been recorded entirely separately from each other. And now we're hearing it in a hip-hop skit. That's kind of neat. Yeah. This album keeps crashing into Frank Zappa. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but let's get to the song itself. After the skit, it turns into Killa Hills 10304, which is the zip code for the section of Staten and Shaolin that contain the Park Hills projects. And this is just an original synth line, right? Mike? Yeah, that's just RZA. Restaurants on a stakeout, so order the food to take out. Chaos, outside a spark steakhouse, maintain the power. I feel the deal's going sour, nigga, Mr. Wedding. Late a fucking half hour. And this man who bought land from Tony Starks while we was contracting bricklaying jobs in city parks, he's a loan shark. Pinches rates a grand to a finger in the garment districts. Got it sewn like singers. Is all I talk blasphemy, this kid after me for the heights in the Burlington Coat Factory. Fuck it. Turn stakes on my nigga Castro, this co-pilot We used to drop right sacks of blow on this remote area We labeled Dead Man's Island, 200 miles south from Thailand Right off the docks, I got luxurious custom-made yachts Burial plots for my niggas hit with fatal shots Killer Hills 10304 is another crime tale But unlike gold, this isn't about the street hustle It's an actual mafioso tale So 
During the Wu members' childhoods, Staten slash Shaolin was one of the main strongholds of the Gambino crime family, actually. And Big Paul Castellano had a mansion on Tote Hill, which is the highest point in the five boroughs at a whopping 400 feet above sea level. (laughs) I like to imagine him standing on top of Tote Hill going like, this city is mine. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, Riza and other Wu members would run into his kids sometimes, so it was a very regular part of life. But uh, also, mafia tales and movies were very important to Wu growing up because the movies were like a reflection of the violence they saw on the street. Um, and Riza also saw a parallel in the family bonds and code of honor, if not necessarily the organized crime itself. Uh, so... This is the only mafioso track on Liquid Swords, but Raekwon, who we'll hear about on the next track, uh, he has a 1995 album only built for Cuban links. It, it more or less turned it into its own hip-hop subgenre, like influencing albums like Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt and the Notorious B.I.G.'s Life After Death. As for Jizza, um, he delivers this entire track in one just impressive, breathless verse. Uh, I don't normally recommend looking at the annotations on Genius because they're usually awful, but this time the genius himself provides commentary on most of the track, including criticism of his own use of a run-on sentence, which is cute. (laughs) Um, But my favorite bit is the vignette about the person who got surgery to hide half a kilo in his leg, but his pirate limp gave him away at the airport. Yep, before he got assassinated with a champagne bottle bomb. (laughs) Yeah, this is is quite an eventful song. Um, Anyway, just one sample on this one. The main keyboard line was produced in-house, but the drums were sampled from, uh, from Dorothy Ashby's Soul Vibrations. Which I also mentioned in the Stevie Wonder episode. Oh, yeah, she's the the jazz harpist. Right. And there's a theremin in there. That's pretty cool. Hmm. This is around the point in the album for me where I start to get a little tired. Yeah. Because, like, after the last song, which was great, This is the point where I mentioned earlier, Ben was talking about how everything has a very similar drum beat and things are taken at a similar tempo. At a certain point, right around here, when the quality of the songs dips a little bit, then I kind of start to lose interest because if this album has a flaw, it is a complete lack of any sort of variety. Yeah. Every song is the same as the other songs, in style at least. And if you're not completely in love with the style, by the end of it, you're probably going to be worn down. This is still good, but I think it would sound better on shuffle than after eight superior songs. I will point out there is a line in here about a heist at a Burlington coat factory, (laughs) which does not seem like the most glamorous place to pull a heist from. That reminds me of the wet bandits in Home Alone 2 robbing Duncan's toy chest. (laughs) That's the kind of heist Michael Scott would pull off. (laughs) I like the the batshit synth tone. It's irritating, but it's enjoyable at the same time. Like, I bet people heard it and, and told Riza, don't use that. It'll never work. It's obnoxious. <laughs> but he just said, yo, twist me, dog, twist me. <laughs> and then he was totally white about it. Riz is going to kick your ass. <laughs> then he went off to hunt Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah, this isn't one of my favorites on the album. I still like it a lot because it's an incredibly consistent album. Uh, I like the Dorothy Ashby sample a whole lot. But I'm kind of ambivalent about Riz's keyboard part. Like, it, it depends on what mood I'm in when I'm, I'm listening to the song. Sometimes it's, it just sounds really cool. Sometimes it's just kind of grating. Um, I fall on the side of grating. 
But uh, on the other hand, you get to hear Jizza just go off for two solid minutes without a break, and that's always cool. Let's move on to investigative reports. Here we go. Come a, on. A battle was fought in Brooklyn. Ancient soldiers killed three thousand men. Hundreds of bodies were displaced in what is now Bronx. Backstabbers, low starvation, profanity, anxiety. So the hook right there is by Yugod, who's kind of the forgotten member of Wu-Tang, even more so than Mastakilla. Born Lamont and Jody Hawkins, and also from the Park Hills Projects, Yugod has a booming bass voice and started off as a beatboxer before trying his hand at emceeing. This accounts for his style, which is very direct, martial, and honestly kind of simple, as you can hear from his contribution to this song. Yugod sometimes gets made fun of as sort of the Zeppo of Wu-Tang of sorts. Uh, but personally, I think they just misused him. They, he can't really carry a verse, but his voice would make for good accenting, you know, sort of like a kind of like a hype man like Riza does earlier, or just a guy who just delivers hooks. And this is the part of Discord and Rhyme where I lecture Riza on how to produce. <laughs> Don't do it that way. It'll never work. I do think Yugod's voice on Triumph is extremely solid. I actually think it's one of the more memorable verses there. But in terms of memorable You God stuff, that's about it. The only other memorable thing I can think of about You God is his solo cut on the Wu-Tang Forever album, Black Shampoo, which might be the worst song on any Wu-Tang album. <laughs> his opening verse on the mystery of chess box and on under the wu-tang is really good i think that's a good use of him everyone has a, so much energy on that album that like it, it, it irons over all of their issues yeah they were all just coming out to get you on that album yeah th- this chorus is not a, a catchy chant a la method man it's just a two-word phrase repeated over and over you god's been listening to early elvis costello <laughs> yes, I think that is exactly the influence here, man. <laughs> You've nailed it. Every time we call you God, we just want to put him down. <laughs> so according to Jizza himself, there isn't much of a story to this song. It's just a song. Uh, the news intro is interesting, though. It describes the historical Battle of Long Island from the American Revolutionary War in August 1776, where the British won. But it says it as a news report. So you got some history there. The string sample is from the quiet instrumental intro to Three Dog Nights, I'd Be So Happy. And uh, I clipped a later, slightly more interesting part of the song where you can still hear the instrument being sampled. And I believe the instrument, uh, in this case, is a Mellotron. Rizzo was listening to Three Dog Night album cuts. <laughs> that, that is amazing. <laughs> Once in a while I could look at you. I didn't know they had albums. <laughs> Yeah, so now, now you've heard a fourth Three Dog Night song. That's, you think that's something? There's an insane clown posse song built entirely out of gong samples. Oh, man. <laughs> I might have to hear an insane clown posse song now. <laughs> okay, we have one more MC to get through. So the first verse on the song is from Raekwon, our final MC. Yo, my slang's out of this world. Mixed collaboration, man, little man and his girl. Where your life got me thinking. Plus some analyzing young youths on roots. You know, three-time felony groups roll together. Tropical trees, puff, whatever. Yo, we could go run up on kids for levers. What drug? Faculties, bubble keys for cheese. Cream flow like seven seas. Hit chicks, Guyanese. Word up, hold your head before you fall out. The more 
route, the devil want that, let's get my niggas locked all out, change for better, that be my only vendetta with life, feed your seed right, he's breathing in deep. So, uh, born Corey Woods, and also known as The Chef. Uh, Raekwon also resided in Park Hills. And uh, by the way, he was known as the chef. I mean, they say on Enter the Wu-Tang it's because he's always cooking up something. He was. He was their actual chef. He was always, like, <laughs> cooking things for them. It's so sweet. Uh, but he was also on the harder end of the street life. As mentioned earlier, he was part of a rival gang from Ghostface. Uh, in fact, for their first official meet as part of Wu-Tang, the two of them reportedly came armed. So, wow. Uh, yeah, this is really interesting in retrospect uh, because the two grew into sort of the dynamic duo of Wu Tang, like bouncing off each other's verses to spin these complex, like almost impressionistic tales of crime on the street. Um, like uh, the only Built for Cuban Links album is credited to Raekwon, and it's his, but Ghost appears on nearly every track on the album. And I, I haven't heard that album in a long time. I know you really like it, Mike. Um, it's, I, well, I like it. It's, I haven't heard it in a long time either. It's, it's long and it's uh, it doesn't leave the same impression on me as uh, as Liquid Swords. I think I'm I'm just not Cuban links enough. <laughs> it's very thematically monochrome. Every song is basically about the same thing. Yeah. And honestly, I think Ghostface kind of steals the album from Raekwon to the point where I often forget about Raekwon because all I remember about his solo album essentially is that Ghostface shows up and is generally better on it. <laughs> Anyway, but Ray, at this point, Ray forms a synergy with Ghost because they're both storytellers. But like where they kind of differ stylistically is that, uh, like I said, Ghost always almost sounds like he's trying to stay a step ahead of the beat, uh, whereas Ray is more willing to ride the groove and like kind of rhyme within that pattern. Uh, as Rizza puts it, if he has a hot pair of drums, he's going to rip it. So fittingly enough, there's a verse from Ghostface as well as a middle verse from Jizza, but I'm not going to clip either of them for the sake of brevity. You know what both of them sound like by this point. <laughs> this is a long episode. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Jizza has said of this track, I don't remember this one that much. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes me feel a little better because I never remember it very much either. It's a perfectly good track, though. I enjoy it if I hear it on its own. It just tends to melt into the rest of the album if I listen to it all the way through. The main distinguishing feature seems to be, hey, it's Raekwon. Not a bad thing. No. Raekwon is one of the best, like, undersung members that no one ever talks about, I think. Yeah. He always brings this level of aggression that's mm -hmm. that I always enjoy. That song's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's not much to this to investigative reports. And along those lines, let's move on to Swordsman. When a motherfucker steps out of place get slapped in this motherfucking face just because the motherfucker tried to base but geo dicked but geo dicked and while i see this whole click passes by motherfuckers think they qualify and for those niggas want to try the geo dicked the geo dicked yeah I'm not caught up in politics I'm no black activist on a so-called scholar's dick I come through with the wood drop map And versatile freestyle bombs upon the graphs And deliver all things in number and weight Search to depth on how living things relate Cause at a young age I was molded in a religion I relied on And got caught up in superstition Scared to split poles up black cats Once in a while threw salt over my back But with knowledge itself from off the shelf Made things seem complicated now smaller else so turn off the lights light a candle have a seance pull a lid off the demon scandal widgets warlock spooks and holy ghosts rizzle let's defraud the hoax when the motherfucker steps out his place 
and get slapped in his goddamn face. Swordsman is the one track on Liquid Swords that is completely performed by Jizza. No featured Woo members are came name from Rizza. <laughs> Uh, this one doesn't appear to have any samples that I know of. The Jizza claims that part of the lyrics are an interpolation from Earth, Wind, and Fire, but I dug through their lyrics and couldn't find the link, but if anyone else knows what it is, feel free to email in at discordpod at gmail.com. And also, our first episode is about Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you should listen to it, uh, <laughs> though we got way better. <laughs> and longer. Yeah, way longer. Wow, that's such a short episode. Uh, so Jizza has the line in this song, I come through with the woo and drop math and versatile freestyle bombs and phonographs. So him, him mentioning math right there, it's a reference to the beliefs of the 5% nation who had a heavy influence on the ethos and worldview of the Wu-Tang Clan. So it's a good chance to mention them here. So the 5% nation was founded in 1964 in Harlem, and the movement teaches that black people are the original people of the planet Earth and are the fathers or gods and mothers or Earths of civilization. And there's there's a lot more to it than that. But, but anyway, uh, the nation teaches that supreme mathematics describe the mechanics of the Earth, how fast it spins, the speed of sound, the grand sweep of world history. And accordingly, Wu-Tang has a really complex numerology, and I'm just going to let Riza give you a taste from the Wu-Tang manual. So, break it down. You have the 36 chambers, and there's nine members of the Wu-Tang Clan. Each member of Wu-Tang Clan has four chambers of the heart. And what's nine times four? 36. There are 36 fatal points in the body, and that times 10 degrees of separation between each point equals 360 degrees. Therefore, the Wu-Tang Clan is a perfect circle, a cipher. Whatever you think of this logic, he really sells it. (laughs) He definitely put a lot of thought into all of this. What's that Jim Carrey movie? The number... Something 23, I think the number 23. Yeah, seems appropriate here. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you say before you start talking about how your TV is talking to you and the government's listening to you. But several Wu member, several of the Wu members' names come from their five percent beliefs. Uh, you God is short for his righteous name, Universal God Allah, and uh, and Riza stands for ruler zigzag zig Allah. And Jizza accordingly stands for genius zigzag zig Allah, and he also has the name Allah Justice. And if you're wondering what zigzag zig means, uh, it describes moving from knowledge to wisdom to understanding. Wow. So there's your crash course on the 5% nation. Uh, I'm sure I did a very poor job of it, but that's why you listen to Discord and Rhyme. So <laughs> Riz's thoughts on mathematics, the Bible, Greco-Roman mythology, Taoism, Chan Buddhism, and his experience visiting the actual Shaolin Temple would fill an entire episode. But if you're interested in this piece of the Wu-Tang world, I encourage picking up the Wu-Tang manual as well as the follow-up, the Tao of Wu, which I haven't read. As for the song itself, it's okay. never really stuck with me but it's probably just the company i'm sure the 12th best song on liquid swords would probably sound really good on shuffle so i think that this album is pretty front-loaded and the last three tracks here just never make an impression on me jizza is good as always the tracks are decent but nothing ever sticks with me. And I used to think it was just because I'm tired at the end. And I think that's some of it. But I've tried listening to these tracks in isolation and it doesn't help much. I don't think these tracks are bad, but this is around the point of the album where I don't have a lot to say. It sounds like less good versions of stuff we've heard earlier in the album. Yeah, this isn't distinctive by by any means, but it's. I like how it's menacing, crisp, and minimalist, and it's got those deep tom-tom beats. 
The only other thing I'll add is whoever Jizza slaps in his goddamn face clearly deserved it, and I testify to that in a court of law. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to me, this is actually where the album kind of bounces back from an ever-so-slight dip in the middle. The production here is another really weird one. It's dark and dissonant, and it almost sounds like modern classical music with a hip-hop beat on top. And all, all all the various elements just blur together into this big, ominous cloud, and... Who sampled hasn't even been able to take the pieces apart and <laughs> identify them. So at least for the time being, this one remains shrouded in mystery, which is appropriate for a song about superstition. Hey, Riza, if you're listening, what did you sample on this song? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, I'd, I really I don't know much about the 5% nation because uh, the only 5% nation I have any knowledge of is uh, the 5% nation of Casio Tone which uh, Rizzo might also be part of, judging by some of his keyboard sounds on this album. (laughs) So let's move on to the final track, sort of. I Gotcha Back. It's the final track. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never get you back. Oh, wow. (laughs) Beach Boys deep cut. Wow, 80s Beach Boys. (laughs) And we both got it. (laughs) Yeah. I got your back, but you best to watch your front. closes with another solo track from Jizza, except it once again has backing vocals from Rizza, who's who's back there in the background again. Uh, so there's a few samples here, uh, including the drums from Jackie Jackson's Is It Him or Me? There are Jackie Jackson songs? <laughs> wow. You know, girl, I work so hard trying to be the man you want me to be. The horns from the Marquis morning after. Another example of him like somehow sampling the one menacing bit and turning it into the song. Right. I, I, I have the um I have the first uh, big singles box set from Stax and it has a bunch of Marquis songs on it and they all reliably sound like that. Yeah, they, they groove for a little while, then they stop. Somebody says the name of the song and then they continue. And our final sample, most interestingly of all, he samples the Charmels as long as I've got you, and you might recognize this one. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's the same song he sampled in Cream, but this time he takes just one little guitar lick. Yeah, it's just that little... I love that. He double dips on one of their most famous samples and just like mm. takes another little tiny piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I Got You Back originated as a rhyme from Jizza to his nephew, and it, it turned into a drug tale in the schoolyard. So you have lyrics like little Stephen Bobby getting paid, but it's a life threatening hobby. Yeah, they still play hide and seek. The fiends seek for the crack and they hide and let the cops peep. It kind of brings to mind Melly Mel's epic final verse in the song The Message that begins, A child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind, uh, which is about the lack of options available when the drug life is your entire world and worldview from childhood. So I Got You Back was the first single from Liquid Swords, and I never really paid it much mind until giving it a closer listen for this episode. Um, But in the context of the lyrics, the outro becomes almost kind of a schoolyard chant, uh, which is an eerie way to fade out the album. Yeah, it's a killer chorus, or maybe killer. It, it, it punches you in the face, but only because it loves you. <laughs> this is another one of my very favorites on the album. They turn the paranoia all the way up on this one, and it's incredibly effective. I mean, you try listening to this song while you walk around outside and see how much the world around you seems to change into something colder and meaner. Mm. That little old lady walking her poodle, keep an eye on her. She may be a threat to you. <laughs> <laughs> the dog with the shifty eyes. Yeah, it's always the dog with the shifty eyes. I'm I'm also a, a big fan of the outro, which is another long sample from Shogun Assassin. When cut across the deck, a sound like wailing winter winds is heard, they say. I'd always hoped to cut someone like that someday, to hear that sound. But to have it happen to my own neck is ridiculous. And it should be ridiculous because nobody waxes poetic about wailing winter winds when they've just been cut in the throat. But in the context of this wailing winter wind of an album, it really works. So this is another one that just... It's probably better than the last two songs, but it still doesn't leave much of an impression on me. The real strange thing about it is that it was apparently the lead single off the album. Yeah. Which, okay, let's leave aside my personal thinking, you know, the song is not that great. This is a doggedly uncommercial song. It's just one long verse. Yeah. There's... There's a hook at the beginning and the end, and then there's just a long verse in the middle. I'm not sure why they picked this as the single. Liquid Swords Mm. would have been a better lead single. Duel of the Iron Mike. Even like Living in the World Today, which I cited earlier in the episode as an example of the album being uncommercial, but it's commercial (laughs) compared to this. Yeah. But it's okay. It's, again, by this point, I'm tired. And there's (laughs) some good lyrics in here. It's a cool beat. But I think at this point, it's just the uniformity of sound on this record has beaten me down. Maybe if I listen to this one a bit more out of the context of the rest of the record, it would grow on me a bit more. There's actually a lyric here that I can sort of relate to where he talks about kids are slinging in my lobby. 
Uh, I was not one of those kids. But when I met my wife, Denise, in 2009, she was living in a shithole in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, on the first floor. And she had drug dealers, guys in their early 20s, dealing drugs from inside her building right outside the door to her apartment. And so it was a rotating crew. But I think there was someone posted there 24 hours a day. And every time she had to get in or out of her apartment, these guys would politely move out of her way. And then they quietly saunter back to their post and keep selling. And thankfully, she got out of there after a few more months. So that's my Wu-Tang experience. <laughs> so the CD version of this album features the song Bible, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth as a bonus track. Life is a test, many quest to universe. And about the search, I felt the joy and I heard. The first should be last and the last should be first. The basic instructions before leaving knowledge is wisdom. This goes back when I was 12. But there's not really much to talk about with this song. It's performed by Killa Priest, not Jizza. So Killa Priest is back. Uh, and it's produced by Wu-Tang affiliate Mathematics, not Riz. Uh, and so it's a decent song, but it feels really tonally extraneous, like it's uh, like like it just came at the bottom of the box or something. Jizza and Rizza <laughs> are not even on it. Why? Yeah. Why is it here? Jizza says he likes it. He doesn't seem to object to it being there. But honestly, it at least stands out to me a little bit just because. Like I said, I've been beaten down by the uniformity. This at least sounds different, even though it's almost certainly worse than those last few songs. <laughs> yeah, but like super furry animals would sound different here. And just <laughs> is like random yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, it's it's like if you took uh, it's it's like if at the end of Scary Monsters by David Bowie, you had uh, Elephant Talk by King Crimson. <laughs> but yeah, it's tangentially related. Hmm. But why would it be there? So, Rich, what are your thoughts on this album overall? Uh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, so I'd given hip hop a couple of shots before, like uh, like the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique and De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. And, and I say I gave him a shot. Uh, I really, really liked both of those albums from the start. But uh, more or less, it's kind of alternate ways to deliver catchy hooks to me. And those hooks were often repurposed from other songs that I liked, like from Steely Dan and the Beatles and stuff. Getting into Wu-Tang was where it really hit me that hip-hop was like this completely different paradigm from rock and pop music and was just capable of these like atmospheric interconnected worlds where you can just get lost and meet a bunch of amazing characters. So I've talked enough about this album. It's my favorite Wu-Tang album, my favorite hip-hop album, and one of my favorite albums, period. Nice. <laughs> Phil, what do you think? It's extremely good. Despite my complaints about the songs wearing me down towards the end... That's really just me. And honestly, it's a thing I have with the genre of hip hop in general. I'm always a little bit tired by the end of albums, which is often not helped by many hip hop albums running very, very long, which this one doesn't. This one comes in at a tight 50 minutes. Just like this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this album is great. It's at its best, it's absolutely essential. And even if the last three or so songs on it don't do much for me, the most essential stuff on this is so amazing that it's still absolutely a required purchase for anybody who's interested in hip hop. Mike, what do you think? Well, Enter the Wu-Tang is the one that gets talked about the most, but uh, Liquid Swords might be the best Wu-Tang album to start with, especially if you're a rock fan like me, like all of us, really. It's Riz's absolute peak as a producer. It's Jizza at his peak as an MC. Everybody else in the Wu-Tang makes an appearance, so you get a taste of all their personalities. 
So un- unless you're deathly afraid of bad words, buy it today. <laughs> and if you are, well, you've listened to a lot of this episode, so yeah. well, quite a lot. <laughs> you've already passed the test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll echo Mike here. Jizza is an amazing MC. I mean, you could make the case that I'm not at all qualified to say who is and isn't a good MC. I think Kanye West is great because I like his rhymes, but uh, apparently he's not regarded as a great MC. But who are you going to believe, me or the Source magazine? <laughs> um, but you know what? Jizz is amazing. I don't know much about hip hop, but I know that much. Um, as I said in the intro, hip hop isn't music that I reach for very often. And, and that's definitely a blind spot on my part. Thankfully, in the past few years, I've I've opened up a lot. I've become a big country music fan, which Denise lovingly tolerates. I, I've come to really enjoy Frank Sinatra, Olive Garden pop music. I've learned to appreciate the blues. I, I dove into classical music and opera, and I have no doubt that I'll come around to hip hop eventually. Prague. But, Prague. Yeah, um, all, all that Prague you love now. <laughs> my, my mind only opens so much. I'm, I'm, <laughs> But in listening to Liquid Swords in preparation for this episode, it came flooding back to me how much I loved this music and still love it. And I'm grateful to Rich for for choosing Liquid Swords. You're welcome. (laughs) I already want to dive back into all the other Woo albums that I have. And I'm hoping that this is the beginning of a Woo renaissance for me. And if RZA wants to use Woo renaissance as an album title, I've already copyrighted it. We can discuss terms. And I know he respects the game. (laughs) So, Rich, if people like Liquid Swords and they want to hear more music along those lines, uh, what should they listen to? Well, I've got good news. There are a few other Wu-Tang related albums out there. (laughs) Just a few. (laughs) Uh, I figure Enter the Wu-Tang is the default recommendation here uh, because we mentioned it a million times. But in addition to that, you should hear basically all of the Wu-Tang solo releases from 94 to 96. Uh, besides Liquid Swords, my favorite is probably Method Man's Tikal, which is a refreshingly compact album. And y- you guys were talking about like long hip hop albums. This one's about 45 minutes long. And his meth's hooks and his flow are just at their peak. Yep, I would second that. That album is very tight and very good. It's yeah. basically a doom metal album. If you're a doom metal <laughs> fan, Tikal is going to be your favorite Wu-Tang. It'll it'll rattle your bong all the way across the floor. <laughs> And so Ghostface easily has the best batting average among solo woo. And I'd like to heartily recommend 2006's album Fish Scale, which is probably the best of all post 2000s woo releases. I I think Ghostface sounds great with basically any producer personally. And here he works with a lineup including Pete Rock, Just Blaze, MF Doom and the late Jay Dilla. And it's just banger after banger after banger. I love it. And so only a quarter of this group is Wu Tang, but you've you gotta you just gotta hear Six Feet Deep by the Grave Diggers. It's Riza and Prince Paul doing horrorcore and it's so demented and fun. The year 84, November, day 10, overwhelmed by the wicked inspirations of an evil gen. I realized my ideas has spawned for 400 years of blood, sweat, and tears. I saw the torture, brutal murder of my father. So my brain became stained with the horror. I'm having real current nightmares. I'm being soaking wet, slapped down to the electric chair. 
I got tackled with a handcuff and shackles and restraint in the bottom of a holy tabernacle. As I again, I'm probably the podcast's resident horrorcore guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I would also recommend that one. That's a really good album. <laughs> yeah. That and uh, Fish Scale, I both second heartily. Those are great. I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction here because most of my favorites have been mentioned already. But if the thought of a bunch of your favorite RZA productions being given the full band treatment sounds interesting to you, you might want to check out uh, L. Michaels Affair, who are a group that specialize in instrumental Wu-Tang covers. And they've served as the live backing band for Raekwon, so you know they're the real deal. Uh, their album Enter the 37th Chamber opens with a cover of Duel of the Iron Mike. And it's it's not an essential masterpiece, but it's a lot of fun. And their follow-up, uh, Return to the 37th Chamber, opens with a cover of Fourth Chamber, which is awesome, but it, it also feels like they're they're scraping the barrel a little bit. Like, for example, one track is a cover of Shaolin Brew, which is the, the Wu-Tang's commercial for St. Ides. <laughs> so back in college, Rizzo was my favorite MC of all of them, and he was the mad genius behind the whole thing, but not actually the genius. It gets complicated. In 1998, RZA released his debut solo album. Uh, and Phil talked about this before. It's called RZA as Bobby Digital in Stereo. Uh, RZA <laughs> took on <laughs> RZA took on an alter alter ego as Bobby Digital, uh, who was nominally a superhero, and the name was based on his birth name, Robert Diggs, Bobby Digital. Uh, being a comic book fan back then, I think I wanted more from Bobby than RZA was willing to give. Um, if he was a superhero, I wanted him to do good things. I mean, even Aquaman helps people a little bit somehow. And it's a deeply mediocre album with very few of what Rich would call bangers. Yes, I um, invented that word. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> overall, it was a massive letdown for me. I, I took it personally for reasons that I'm still unpacking with my therapist. Um, looking back at some of the publicity that RZA did for the album, I'm realizing that maybe my expectations for Bobby Digital were too high. He outright stated, quote, women are queens, but if they don't know that themselves, Bobby will prey on them. He'll treat them like bitches if they don't realize they're queens, unquote. So maybe Bobby was never destined to be role model material. In 2001, he returned with the album Digital Bullet, which is sharper all around. It's got harder beats and more memorable choruses. And best of all, the opening lyrics were almost a gift to me. They go, we interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin. Bob Digital located inside the hood again. Last seen helping the crack fiend to detox. Smacking this cat in his head for snatching Reeboks. Oh my God, Bobby is a force for good in the world. He's not just a jack-off superhero fantasy. Of course, after that, he goes back to bitches and hoes and whatever. But he's more entertaining this time around and even a little bit introspective. If he's not Aquaman yet, he's getting there. So I wouldn't even call these recommendations, although Digital Bullet is worth your time. But if you like the Wu-Tang Clan, it might be worth traveling down the same road I did and with solo RZA and seeing what you make of the journey. The B, the O, the B, the B, the Y, the D, the I, G, the I, D, the A, L, Digital. Yo, you know us to be robust, the greatest crew since co-crust, this poisonous slave keep MCs avoiding us. Can't think about the proper memories for destroying us. Your best bet black and sit back and start to join us. And run your commissary, attack your pulmonary, I'm a very revolutionary. I would recommend, if you like Jizza, the works of MF Doom 
are probably going to appeal to you greatly. I would recommend his solo album mm, Food as a pretty good starting point or the Mad Lib album Mad Villainy. If you're looking for kind of a Wu-Tang analog, the same kind of loose collective of crew with a uh, weird leader, then there is some good music released under the Odd Future Collective, led by Tyler, the creator. In particular, I would recommend checking out the OF Tape Volume 2, which is actually their first officially released album as a group because Volume 1 was just a digitally released mixtape that they never sold. But it's got some interesting stuff, and there's a lot of parallels between the whole Wu-Tang thing and what they're doing. And I'll just say RZA and Jizz's scene in Jim Jarmusch's Coffee and Cigarettes with Bill Murray is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. Well, thanks for joining us for Jizz's Liquid Swords. Next episode, Dan is bringing us the album Wowie Zowie by 90s Slackers Pavement with a very special guest, Jeff Blair, of the podcast Political Beats. Yeah, Jeff actually used to be part of our whole like web reviewing career, so we're excited to have him on. But let's roll some credits. Thank you for listening to Discord and Rhyme. You can buy or stream Liquid Swords and other albums by Jizza at your local Circuit City or the usual suspects such as Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and Amazon. And we've made you a Spotify playlist that you can find on our website, discordpod.com. Follow Discord and Rhyme on Twitter at discordpod for news and updates. Follow me at BenjaminM1019, Rich at Zonetrope, Phil at P.A. Maddox, and Mike isn't on Twitter. Too many slow-moving MCs waiting for the editing. (laughs) Check out my book, All the Days of His Life, listening to David Bowie, song by song, on Amazon.com. Editing for the episode is by Rich, and special thanks to Mike for his production skills. See you next album, and be ever wonderful. (laughs) (laughs)